and welcome to Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I am your host, Scott Belanger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone. You can find me on Twitter at Dino Game Theory. This is episode number 90. Let's roll. And oh my goodness, you guys are going to be listening to this after my Boston Celtics probably got blown out in game one. Not sure, man. Uh, I think there's going to be some blowouts in this uh, in this uh, in this finals. I'm hoping that we can get a couple here on the Boston Celtics side of things. But a uh, little nervous heading into Game One. Not going to lie. Not going to lie. Heading into Golden State. Oh my gosh! But you guys are going to hear some probably some Boston Celtics takes today because I have a fellow masshole on with me today. Y'all know him as Coop, Mister Andrew Cooper. You can find Mister Andrew Cooper on Twitter at Coop, C-O-O-P-A, Fiasco. This dude's smart. Of course he is, because he's from the East Coast. That's why Andrew Cooper. Coop, what's going on, buddy? Jax Falcone, man. The the biggest man of mystery in the fantasy industry, man. I'm so glad to be on this pod finally, dude. And yeah, I know as you can see, I got the Celtics stuff behind me. Got the the Marcus Smart jersey there. Autographed. Yeah. So, dude, this is the best, the the most interesting. Uh, talking piece behind me is that one up there, the Robert Parrish Day banner. Yeah. Because if you look at it, it's autographed. There's a name with a big R and P on there, right? And when everyone sees it, they think right away that that's Robert Parrish, but it actually is not. I was at that game and I had the banner and the team was coming out and I reached down and who grabs my banner, but the coach of the team at the time, Rick Patino. Wow. <laughs> So Holy it's a Robert smokes. Parrish day thing. And with a big R&P, if anyone asks, I'm like, yeah, it's Robert Parrish. But in yeah, reality, the R&P is not Robert Parrish. It's Rick Pitino. So that's oh. a that's a weird one right there, man. That is a weird one. It's like, fuck Rick Pitino. <laughs> Seriously, though, man. Remember, remember when <laughs> Those the local were the radio- worst. They were, remember the full court press they used to do? Brutal, dude. <laughs> the, 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 remember that local radio guy had him on? And he, within five seconds, he goes, hey, Rick Patino, why did you ruin the Celtics? And Patino just hung up immediately. <laughs> Shortest interview I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> that guy that guy got his shot off, though. There's no doubt. Yeah, Boom. It was Fred, Fred Toucher from Toucher and Rich. That's who it that was. That is yeah. fucking fantastic. I mean, I do have to say, though, the uh, this was not on the show sheet, but the Boston media can go suck itself for for saying that they should have been breaking up Tatum and Brown and selling Brown for nothing. And Tatum ain't no superstar. If you are in the Boston media and you said that shit, eat a dick. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, think about, think about the minefield they navigated to put these guys together with the Mark, the, you know, the Markel Fultz's and all that stuff. I mean, it's like, and now you're going to complain. Now you're going to complain. We're going to the finals. Unbelievable, bro. They wanted Marcus Smart traded, defensive player of the year. They didn't want Al Horford back. He's been an animal. I mean, I know this is a fantasy football podcast, but I I mean, like, how many times can you be wrong in a row? And I know their job is to stir the pot, and we'll actually talk about that type of job a little bit later. There's a little teaser for the show right there, huh? But, yeah. Yeah, the Philadelphia 76er fan. (laughs) Michael P. Duncan in the green room just literally triggered, just shaking and uh, vomiting over the Markel Fultz comments. <laughs> Completely unnecessary. He's right about that. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's get, what do you say we get to a little foosball, my man? <laughs> yeah. So what do we say? We got Celts in seven or Celts in six. I mean, it's one or the other. We're going to win it at home or we have to go into Golden State and win a game seven because that's going to be brutal. 
I want it to be at home, man. I, I, oh. yeah, yeah, it's tough over there, man. And those guys are killers, bro. That's oh the thing. And, and they've also, you know, it's one of those things where if we do lose, it'll be because they've been there. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's just yeah. a different vibe to have to have done it and to know what it's like and to have that killer instinct versus, you know, having the first time jitters and, and everything that comes with that. And, you know, we know Tatum is a guy that, you know, he, he hasn't quite been, you know, Say what you will about Paul Pierce, but Paul Pierce was always willing to take the last shot. Yeah. And when he would get the ball at the elbow, he would hit it a lot of times, you know? Yeah. And yeah. and this isn't Tatum Hill has not been that guy. You know, his yeah. game winning shot was a you know, last second pass from Marcus Smart with a little twirl and a lay-in. Like that's not yeah. it. That's not the shot you want from your your clutch guy. So that that is the one thing that does scare me that this that this Warriors team is going to come in and say, hey, we've done this before. This is how you do it. And we're going to be here with a first year coach and yep. a bunch of players that haven't been there and say, you know, let's see if we can figure out how you do it. The yeah, way these exactly. guys have. Yeah, absolutely. The the experience factor is a huge difference. The 123 games of finals experience on the Golden State side, zero on the mm. Boston Celtics side. Now, they do have a lot of um, playoff experience. Uh, they just haven't gotten over the hill. And, and getting to the finals may have been that hill. We've, we've seen it in multiple sports, right, where it's like, you know, you have to kind of, you know, we saw it with every every great dynasty, you know, it was, the 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 Celts had to kind of get there. Then the the Pistons had to kind of get there. Then the Bulls had to kind of get there. Like you know, remember Michael? He, you know, he had to beat that Lakers team and the Celtics team and the Pistons team just to get himself there and finally get it done. So I don't. I'm obviously not comparing this to the right. Michael Jordan. Uh, the the uh, narrative. You know the, the point. People forget the na- real narrative with Michael Jordan. In the beginning, people yeah. said he was he was a ball hog. He didn't play a team basketball that could win, and he didn't win for a while there. Yeah. You know, he would make the playoffs, get knocked out. Like that whole narrative, I think, is forgotten because those championships all came kind of down a, a later stretch. You know, yeah. so that's no, true. Uh, you guys, I mean, he played for I think it was like seven or eight, maybe seven or eight years before he won those rings. Then the rings all came when it came together. Yeah, but, you know, he was always amazing. But I think that narrative gets washed away. People think that he just came in and was amazing right from the jump where he was, but he wasn't a winner right from the jump. He needed Scottie Pippen to to sign that terrible contract. Oh, man. Poor son of a bitch. (laughs) Uh, You know, but it is a team game. You know, it really is. We know that. I mean, anybody who's played basketball knows it's a team game. It's kind of a chemistry game, like, you know, how things work together. It's not just, you know, if you had five Michael Jordans or whatever, you'd probably be pretty good. But you know my point. Like, you know, you kind of need different roles and different players to do different things and, you know, got to do the dirty work, which is why Rodman was such a key integral piece of that, you know, which is why Marcus Smart and Al Horford are so huge for us and Draymond Green for Golden State. So, yeah, you need different roles. And these two teams, I think, were the two best teams. I mean, Boston, uh, very, very strange, of course, because they were like 500 middling team and then just literally were – one, they were the best team in the league this year by sort of mathematical and metrics, but uh, that was hard for us to believe as fans after watching them for a year and a half. Yeah, I mean, it was they they set us up in the beginning of the season, man, because it was I, it was scary for a while there. But you know, we've come back around. It's kind of it's kind of the offense versus the defense here. I feel like you know we've got that that team defense, and they've got obviously got those uh, the killer shooters. So it'll be a fun one. Yeah. Well. Celts and Celts are going to sweep them. Let's just, let's just, let's just wrap yeah, it up. Exactly. Uh, yeah. God, I'm nervous. Um, okay. So, Hey, uh, let's start here. You fucking called it, man. One of the things you did was you called the Tyree kill um, trade. Well, let's see. I, I think you have it pinned. It was like in uh, yeah, uh, June, June of 2021. So over a year, almost a year ago, you, you basically said, um, yeah, almost exactly a year ago, June 8th. Uh, you basically said, 
here's a super hot take. Come March of next year, Tyreek Hill is either going to be traded or outright released. And sure enough, in March, he was traded. Uh, so just a little bit of kudos for that, because I don't think that many people have that tweet to fall back on. So congratulations. Yeah. And the thing with that tweet is that so many people were like, oh, you know, shot in the dark, blah, blah, blah. What they don't realize is that, you know, outside of fantasy football, I write articles all year long and most of them are regular football articles. I write an article every offseason on, uh, you know, what team, what I think teams should do in free agency, what they're going to do for the draft. Like I'm deep in there, man. So that Tyreek Hill take wasn't just me saying, oh, I think this happens. Tyreek Hill. Uh, people don't realize they came to him and and said, will you restructure to help us out? And what that restructure would have done was take salary and move it to signing bonus. And he, for some reason, even though he would have got to pay the same amount of money, said no. Right. right. So in that situation, he left himself with a contract that was $20 million with only $2 million in dead cap. And I'm like, this guy is setting himself up to get moved or yeah. or even worst case scenario released if, it, if it's too tight money-wise, right. you know? So it's like, it's not like that just was me saying, oh, you know, something's going to happen and this guy's a punk. That, it had nothing to do with that. Nothing. It entirely right. had to do with the way that he handled his own contract situation where he could have stayed with this team had he chosen to do so and he would have got the same amount of money in 2022. Now, yep. at the end of the day, maybe I mean his his uh, his agent is Drew Rosenhaus, so you know that guy is a pretty ruthless dude. At the end <laughs> of the day, he got 140 million dollars or however many 200 million or whatever it was. Like so, it actually worked out for him. So maybe he was ahead of it. But these are the things we have to look at, especially in dynasty, because that this is a money driven league. Contracts rule the world. Uh, if it wasn't for that, Amari Cooper would not be on the Cowboys right now. Right. So, you know, we, you got to pay attention to this in dynasty. And that's how you get ahead in the offseason using your time wisely doing that. Bingo, bingo, bingo. That's exactly right. I mean, it wasn't a it wasn't a baseless take and uh, contracts was there, you know, and now Tyreek Hill has, you know, 140 million or whatever it is. Uh, tax-free Florida dollars. And all he has mm. to put up with is the humidity, the bugs, and Floridians. Yeah, I mean, that's not necessarily the best trade, but he's also, <laughs> a, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's, he's from there, from that area. So he's already ah, he's already got thick, thick skin with that. Yeah. So he'll be just, he'll be, <laughs> he'll be just fine, man. I mean, like, dude, the players that come out of Florida, man, it's crazy. You know, Florida, Texas, California. Yeah. I was just reading the other day that T.Y. Hilton – uh, so he's called T.Y. Hilton, kind of like you with the the Jax Falcone. He's, it's kind of, it's, it's not his real name. It's it's an alias. Did you know that? The, the whole thing? Hilton too or no? Uh, so T.Y. is. So his okay. real name is Eugene Marquise, right? Nice. His dad's name is Tyrone. So he they called him Tyrone's youngin growing up. So he's T.Y. Hilton. Jesus. But here's the, crazy, here's the crazy part. His dad was a football coach, and he also coached another guy from the same town, Antonio Brown. Oh, shit. And they were that. they were both set to go to Florida International to play together. Ty played there. Antonio Brown obviously got kicked out of there before football <laughs> even started because he's an idiot. But yes. like, how crazy is that? These dudes grew up same, not even just the same town, but the same neighborhood within that town, and played football together. Unbelievable. Yeah, that yeah. that shit's just crazy. That's crazy. How about you know, like it's like Gronkowski family and shit like that. Uh, right. The Watts and stuff. It's like yeah, yeah. yeah. Boston mas- Champ mas- Bailey. Boston mas- Champ Bailey have to be the best names of all time, right? Boston Champ. Boss and champ, dude. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing, dude. If they had more, they'd be like king and like, you know, <laughs> yeah. like. Uh, <laughs> like when, be- as soon beast. as they were born, you're like, I think they're going to be in the NFL. I'm just going to name them boss and champ and go from there. All right. Yeah. Yep. This, this, this one will like. be. This one will be Beast Bailey. That one will be Animal Bailey, you know? And then in Massachusetts, it's like we're naming our kids Tanner and like 
and like Frank and no one's making the, no one's making the NFL. You know what I mean? No, <laughs> just, just a lot of, a lot of doughy dudes up there. <laughs> Andrew. That's yeah. That's me. Andrew Cooper. I wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. Scott, he ain't going nowhere. <laughs> but, um, but now that he's in Miami playing for the dolphins, um, you know, it, what's going to happen there? What, what's, uh, what are we, what are we making out of this team? Yeah, I mean, I'm like right now when I so I'm doing a lot of underdog stuff, I see an inefficiency in the ADPs for a lot of these guys in that how can we take Tyreek Hill, you know, where he's going at wide receiver nine or so and Jalen Waddle where he's going at wide receiver like 13 and then like Mike Gusecki at at a top. He's a tight end one range, right? How are these guys all going to have that ADP if two is going to be quarterback 17 or so where he's going? Right. So. I think you, especially like now is, is best ball season. If you're going to make those bets, you might as well follow through with it. You know what I mean? Like if you think Tua is actually going to start pushing the ball downfield and he's going to get it to Tyreek Hill and Waddle and Hill and Waddle Hill and Gusecki, like you should be moving him up in your rankings and maybe not even drafting him as your QB as the only QB on your team, but drafting two QBs, take like a safe guy, like a Stafford and then take a shot on this guy. If you think he's going to be regular old too, and you don't like him, you know, maybe he can continue to support Waddle. Waddle's got a pretty low a dot, like seven yards, continue to feed the underneath balls, but you should not be taking Tyree kill. You should not be taking, you probably shouldn't be taking any of them. If you don't think two is any good, you know, because the guy behind him, Teddy Bridgewater is the guy we know, doesn't throw deep downfield. So that's even worse for Tyreek Hill, in my opinion. So, you know, we we saw it with Cortland Sutton. We saw it with DJ Moore. Like, Teddy is just averse to that. Uh, so, you know, th- that's something you got to think about with this particular team. I don't know, uh, Jax, are you are you in on any any one of the guys at their ADP, or what are your thoughts there? I totally agree with – well, certainly we know I'm not in on Mike Kosicki, throw his yeah. ass off the bridge again this year. But, no, I mean, he's fine. I'm just – you know, there's a, it's a running bit. But, yeah, you're right. He's like, what, uh, tight end 11, 12, 13, somewhere in there. Yeah. So yeah. backside of the – we're, we're going to get the tight ends too because I would never t- uh, take t- Gusecki there um, because of the value that's behind that. It's just incredible. Uh, right. We're going to talk about that. But, um, yeah, you're right. If, if, if Waddle – is a top 15 wide receiver by ADP and Tyreek is a top eight wide receiver by ADP, then it would stand to reason that Tua should be higher than tight end, uh, uh, quarterback 18 or something like that. Right. You know, I, I just tweeted before I hopped on the show, I was just kind of perusing Twitter and there was a, a snippet of a Tua interview and he was so fucking likable. Um, I, mm. you know, you got to check my Twitter feed to see it. It was just awesome. He was like, I don't know, man. He was, he was talking about how the, how he's got like a press, a PR girl who like tells him all the things that like we all say bad about him on Twitter and everything or whatever. I don't, but you know, the, 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 the sort of, uh, he called them the keyboard warriors and everything. And, and he was like, I don't know if you saw that last throw to Tyreek, that looked pretty fire right there. And like, he's just, he looks like he's having fun. He looks loose. Um, I think the, the coaching staff there is probably making him feel that way. I think the the weapons around him, I think the team, uh, I don't know, man. I, I'm starting to feel it a little bit more. So I'd probably be more inclined to move Tua up than those other two guys down. I'm kind of with you, man. Like I've actually been drafting in best ball, just Tua by himself. Like, so like I don't love the, the ADP on the other guys, but I, exactly. I'm taking a lot of, I'm taking a lot of Tua. And honestly, yeah. as a, I'm a Patriots fan uh, and I, I, the Dolphins, they did everything correctly, save for maybe, you know, 
we'll see. The verdict is not out yet on Tua, but if they had taken Justin Herbert oh, instead yeah. of Tua, which they could have done, but nobody had that. Does that make no, sense? Like, yeah, I, I mean, I right, suppose right, they right. could have, but you know, there wasn't like it wasn't. Um, you know, uh, wasn't a given a at the time. Hind- yeah, yeah, in yeah. hindsight, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, had it had it panned <laughs> out that way, had somebody else taken Tua before them, right? Yeah. Like they went out in 2019 completely tanked on purpose to the point where the owner's paying the coach to lose games. They built this ghost ship. They built it from the inside out, which I love to see. The Lions are doing that now. Then they went and got the weapons to overlap with their quarterback's contract. It's like they did it all the right way. If they don't, if they don't take that big step this year, now they can now next year when the salary cap goes up, they go and get the true, true luxury piece, right? The running back and the maybe a crazy pass rusher or something like, you know what I mean? Like you get those last luxury pieces and now you got a stew going. It's all on Tua though, right? Like he's on a hot seat now. Yeah. I mean, they did a great job of building up the offensive line too. I mean, they they fixed the whole left side with Armstead and Connor Williams. I mean, presumably, um, you know. So yeah, uh, Eichenberg in his second year, I think they may be pretty good on the offensive line. Obviously, Teron Armstead is dope. The as best long in as the business, can, man. Yeah, as long as they can stay healthy on that offensive line and give him some time to throw, uh, I think they upgraded the. The, the backfield with Edmonds and Sony Michelle and Mostert and they still have Gaskins and whoever the fuck else they had, you know? Right, yeah. So like they've got pretty good weapons, obviously Tyreek Hill waddle sneaky signing in Cedric Wilson, who was very good as the, the sort of slot guy, third weapon for the Cowboys. He looked pretty good, man. I mean, I yeah. don't know exactly what his role will be on this team. I don't think he's going to be very fantasy friendly, but I think from a real football perspective, yeah, I think this team could be really good. Right. I'll tell you what, what the killer is for Cedric Wilson and why I don't think anyone should be taking a stab on him is that um, Mike McDaniel came out and said that they're going to use a fullback. And they have Alex Eng- Alex Ingold on the roster who's a great fullback, right? Yeah. And, you know, he, we know he used use check over there. Every time you bring in a second tight end, right, you bring in a Durham Smythe or an Adam Shaheen in – that takes a wide receiver out of the game. Every yeah. time you bring in a fullback, that takes another wide receiver out of the game. So if yeah. they're going to be doing these – plays, which I'm sure they will, that have Durham Smythe in in line and Mike Gusecki in the slot uh, yeah. and Alex Ingold and a running back back there. That means there's one wide receiver on the field for that yeah. play. So yeah. that's something to, to, to not just for Cedric Wilson. I think it, it pretty much vaporizes Cedric Wilson, that thought process. But the because yeah. like when you bring in the fullback, you don't take the tight end out. You don't take the running back out like those are heavy sets. So it crushes Wilson. And it also there's a little concern for for guys like Waddle and Terry Kill that maybe they don't play a full snap share. I mean, we see it with the Ravens where only one wide receiver plays a lot of snaps and that's like 70 or 80% when you use that fullback in the tight end. So a little yeah. something, something to think about. Yeah. And they do have a uh, depth at the tight end position. If you call Mike Kosicki a tight end, which I don't, I think he's a slot yeah. receiver. I think him and Cedric Wilson are sort of the slot guys. And then they have Durham Smythe, Adam Shaheen and the, the last year's third round pick Hunter Long. And I'm not saying any of those guys are any good. I really don't know, but they're definitely actually tight ends. And right. you look at like uh, Durham Smythe last year, he played a lot of snaps. So like whether you think he's a fantasy, which I don't think he's a fantasy asset, he is a real football snap player. He's going to be on the field and you're right. It sort of trickles down. You can only play so many skill position players. So I 100% agree with you. I think it's going to be a very concentrated target share to Tyreek and Waddle. And I think Gusecki will, will definitely be the third um, you know, third guy in the totem pole. Um, and then, and then the backs probably Edmonds is a, is a buy as well. I think, what do you think about the backfield actually now that we're here? Yeah. I mean, I do just want to say one thing on the Mike yeah. Gusecki thing, please like Mike Gusecki, 
playing 90%, not over 90% of his snaps at wide receiver. Yep. Like, honestly, if he's going to be a tight end, like you could go out and real and make realistic arguments for other players out there. Like yeah. uh, I've, I was looking at a few man, like Alan Lazard, like to Mike Kosecki plays 90 snaps on the season at tight end. Alan Lazard's playing like 60. I mean, like what's the difference between those players? Realistically, you should be making Mike Kosecki a wide receiver, yeah. but like, I mean, talk about the way these guys are used. Like, Alan Lazard played a higher percentage of his snaps at tight end than Mike Gusecki, as ridiculous as it is. Absolutely uh, crazy. Yeah. Now on the backfield, I think that, you know, we're this is Mike Hothand Shanahan is the system <laughs> where he's he's coming from. And he yeah. set himself up with a to- total hot hand backfield, right? Like yeah. he's clearly leaning into that. Chase Edmonds, I think, is the guy you want. He's the safest one for fantasies. You know, he's going to be playing in a pass catching role. Raheem Mostert is like that home run hitter type guy. He's crazy fast. Yeah. People, I think people underestimate the fact that this guy has two of the fastest on field speeds in the league. I mean, the year the before last. Yeah. Yeah, he had like number one and two the year before last in yep. like back to back weeks against the Jets and Cardinals. But he's an injury prone guy. And then the rest of those guys to me are just kind of like clunkers. And, you know, Sony Michelle at this point is he is what he is. You know, he's right. a early down guy, maybe a goal line guy. But the, the way that these guys complement each other is great for real life football. Like you kind of said, yep. bad for fantasy football. You don't yeah. want that. No, I mean, it's really I mean, it's kind of like Chase Edmonds at value or bust, I think. Um, I mean, cause you don't want Sony Michelle, certainly, I mean, maybe in best ball, it's a little bit different. You can take late stabs with these guys. Cause if chase Edmonds, you know, snaps an ACL, all of a sudden these guys might have some, like most could be like, Oh my God, some spike weeks and stuff. Or mm-hmm. Sony Michelle, all of a sudden is getting 20 carries a, a week potentially. But I think if, it, if, if everybody stays healthy, I think you're right. I think it's more of a, 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 a split up backfield, but chase Edmonds with the most, uh, high value touches, I think they're going to use him as the pass catching back, uh, because he's, I think clearly the best one out of all of them for that role. And, uh, you know, I mean, he's a big play player and we'll see, but yeah, I don't, I don't love any of those guys. Uh, even in my dynasty spots where I have Edmonds, I'm kind of like very cautiously optimistic, like hardly cautiously optimistic, you know? When they first signed them, it was great. It was like oh, yeah. perfect. And then it just slowly, as they were adding pieces, got like worse and worse. I'm like, what are we doing? You know, but yep. you know, it's like when I look, when I try to decide the running backs that I want most that I can move up the top, and I'm doing a lot of thinking about this, this, this year. And this is a new concept for me this year is the word fear. Like I want the coach to be terrified that if my guy isn't in the game, the other guy's going to mess it up. Right. And you see that with the Cowboys where it's like they continue to put seek out there on first down goal line and pass protection because they have a fear that Tony Pollard can't do it. Right. And a, a big example is last year in the Super Bowl where, yep. you know, Joe Mixon was the guy. And then uh, Zach Taylor admitted that he could have swapped out uh, Samaje Pirine for Joe Mixon and he didn't do it. And then Pirine didn't get the first and then he didn't catch the pass and they basically yep. lost the game. And yep. that's what I want. I want the coach to be terrified that if he doesn't put my guy in for high leverage situations, that it's going to go poorly. And in this situation, I just don't know if, if there is that guy yet, but right. uh, just knowing what Shanahan does, I mean, like he was willing to latch on to Elijah Mitchell. There's a possibility that chase that they just chase Edmonds just takes the role and gets the whole thing. So the upside awesome. is there, like you're saying, yeah, yeah. it's possible. And, 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 you know, going back to your statement about, um, you know, uh, the Tyreek Hill situation is contracts, you know, they're only the only investment they have in any player is Chase Edmonds. That's it. Everybody mm-hmm. else is like, you know, a million or two or 
you know, late round pick or whatever. There's no actual investment, but I think uh, Chase Simmons is like two years, 12 or 13 mil. So like, right. no, you know, it's not huge, but it's fucking way more than the other motherfuckers. Like he, he's making more than all of them combined. So he clearly has the, you know, the owners want to see that work too, because they're paying for it. For sure. Exactly. I I think about that a lot with, with some of these situations where, you know, they pay for a guy and then he plays over everyone else, which. Yeah. We've seen know. it. Coop, we've seen it in like, um, you know, hard knocks, you know, when there's like, they'll be, have these meetings. And it's like Jerry Jones will be like, how's Zeke doing? You know, like he's not asking about how the fucking undrafted rookies doing. He doesn't give a shit, you know, but he's right. asking like making sure all the guys that like he's paying for that he's picked or that he's put his ass on the line for making sure all those guys like, like how are they doing? You know what I mean? And it's like that pressure is real. It's not like from us being so distant from it. We can be like, ah, most are better. We may not believe that, but it's easy for us to just say that and like fucking whatever. But when you have the owner who literally employs you, pays your fucking salary and like runs the whole deal is like, I like Zeke, put him in. You're like, "Mm, fucking sounds like Zeke's playing this week. You know what I mean? So that pressure is real and and it's tied to money or investment. And that's the difference between a team you see in New England where you see Bill Belichick will draft guys and he'll move on from them so fast because he's the GM and the coach. There's no pressure from him for him. Like when you're the GM and the, you know, the guy's not playing well, you go down to the coach and be like, Hey, you know, I picked, this is why we picked this guy. Maybe you got to try this or that. Like Belichick's like, you know what? I was wrong. Whatever. Next guy, you know, we'll yep. just use, we'll just use Jacoby Myers forever. Yeah, you know, right. Nikhil Harry, you just go sit over there. You know, he's like hundred percent great point. pressure, you know? Yeah. Nikhil Harry would be in, in a lot of offenses. Jacoby Myers would have never been a thing. And Nikhil Harry would have been force fed hundred percent. Yep. Speaking of force fed, Gabe Davis. I knew this was coming. Gabe Davis. You know, I had to go here because first of all, you have done an like, so I'm very pragmatic. I do like Gabe Davis as a player. But I've got a pragmatic take. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be that that crazy here. But you've done an outstanding job of trolling the truthers. Like I sometimes feel it when you tweet. I'm like, ooh, that was that was good. That hit me right in the middle. But but in all seriousness, what do you really think his range of outcomes are, and what do you think is most most likely or most probable? So I think he's got he's got a, a huge range. I know you're a range of outcomes guy, right? And I actually defended. Anthony Servino, when he said he had a take, he was like, I think Gabe Davis could be the wide receiver one over Stefan Diggs, right? People killed him for that. Right. And I defend I defended that that take in the sense that their range of outcomes are potentially overlapping. 100%. Like the ceiling for Gabe Davis is potentially above the floor for Stephon Diggs, which Correct. you know he he can say that. He didn't say I think he is. He right. said I think you know what I mean. So yeah. I, I did defend people. People were sending me the tweet being like, "You got to crush this guy." I was like, "You know, what? I'm not going to crush that dude because I know you know what he does for work." And he didn't say anything. You know, he made a bold take, which he said it was bold, but you know, yes. it's not crazy. Now for me. I think that this guy, the floor for him is unstartable and the ceiling is in the wide receiver two range. And the reason that I feel, and the thing is, there's so many people that say he's a wide receiver two with wide receiver one upside. Eh. The reason, the reason I say that is because of the situations we've seen where you do have two guys that are wide receiver ones, right? Right. The targets are insanely highly consolidated. We're talking Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, over 25% for each player. Right. right? Uh, like you look at 2019, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, Brashad Perriman got 69 targets. 40% of those came in the, came in the three games that Chris Godwin was out. All the targets were going to two guys, AB and Juju. You know who the next highest target was when AB and Juju were both wide receiver ones? It's freaking Vance McDonald, Vance McDonald and Ryan Switzer. 
So that's what we're talking about. So just by the nature of me looking at, uh, you know, Cole Beasley at age 30, 31, 32, 30 year old guy, back to back to back 100 plus yard, 100 plus target seasons. They bring in a younger version of him. Jameson Crowder is only 28. They bring in a younger version of him. And that dude's going to get 50 targets like Ryan Switzer. Dawson Knox is going to go back to being a, you know, Cameron Brait or Vance McDonald. Cameron Brait was fourth on that team besides after Brashad Perriman. That's what I'm talking about. It's like you have to be to project Gabe Davis to have wide receiver one outcomes. You need to either have him ahead of Diggs or you need to project these other guys to be dust. Right. And I, you know, it's just I can't look at these situations where, uh, you know, you have we, we've seen it before once where you have a top five tight end and, uh, you know, two wide receiver ones. And guess what happened that year? Peyton Manning threw 55 touchdowns and it was almost a decade ago. Like that kind of stuff isn't happening on a regular basis. That's why for me, I, I look at it. And I'm like, why are we drafting this guy at his ceiling when there are other guys, you know? Yeah, I don't know that. Well, are, are, are we drafting him at a ceiling? I mean, he's being drafted wide receiver 26 or so. Yeah. So, you know, this like for me, I don't really see yeah. a, a world like you'd have to have an injury or a super highly consolidated amount of targets between these guys. Right. So I look at it and I'm like, why am I drafting Gabe Davis at wide receiver 26? Right. And hoping that he can be the second target on this team after digs and get a 25 percent target share when yeah. I could draft Adam Thielen at wide receiver 38. And know that he's already gets that target share. This guy was wide receiver seven last year before he got hurt. He scored 24 touchdowns the last couple of years. I mean, like what I just I don't get why we have to go for the mystery box all the time when yeah. the boat is sitting right there. You know, I agree. I actually agree with this because like I am I am uh, my most exposed player. My most uh, exposure in Dynasty is Gabe Davis, but none of the investments were very much, you know, I mean, uh, I think I drafted him as like the wide receiver 35 or something mm-hmm. like that in dynasty, uh, in a dynasty startup. So it was like thir- like close to wide receiver 40, certainly in the thirties, you know, wasn't wide receiver 26 and redraft or best ball. So I'm with you. I think that there's definitely a, um, you know, a bit of overpricing there, but I'm, but I'm also very, very keen to the upside. So, you know, the, 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 the offense that targeted the wide receiver more than any offense in the NFL last year was the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen. Josh Allen targets wide receivers more than any other quarterback. I don't think that goes away. Stefan Diggs has had over 160 two years straight with, with Josh Allen. I don't think that really goes away. You can kind of pencil him in for about 140 to 150 targets. And then, you know, plus or minus, we'll see. You'd really have to see him have a huge fall or an injury in order to really not hit about 150. Uh, Cole Beasley, as you point out, I don't think Crowder steps in and just takes a hundred and some odd targets. I think there was a little bit of safety blanket with Cole Beasley, but the guy that pl- I don't know about played him off the field, but the guy that played Gabriel Davis off the field was Emmanuel Sanders. <clears throat> Last year, Emmanuel Sanders, 72 targets, Gabe 63. You know, there's there's a lot of targets right there to that role, and I think Gabe Davis plays that role more, um, you know, substantially this year. There are a lot of times I I just did some uh, some numbers with Gabe where he's only played like like he's played like twelve games 
with more than a 75% target share in those games. He's been great. Most of his games have been like below 50% except, target. Except the Jets Excuse game. Me, I'm sorry, not target share. Snap share. I didn't mean that. Uh, right. Snap share. Sorry. Except that Jets game. The Jets game, he got 14 targets, caught three of them. So there have exactly. definitely been a couple games where he, but, but you're right. He no, has had true. great games. He has had great games, you know, and it's you like true. it. You know, it's that's such a glass half empty, glass half full discussion too. Because Correct. I say that, and part of me also says, yeah, but fourteen targets, right? Yes, like that's, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, but it's just like I look at you know, like we're 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 hoping he takes this giant leap, but he couldn't beat out John Brown. He couldn't beat out Manny Sanders, and Manny Sanders was all kind of on pace to being you know an out, outside the top thirty six wide receivers. He was uh, they had very similar a dots. Manny Sanders had a slightly better catch rate, but very similar players. So I'm the, yeah. I'm just warning well, people. They, they brought they brought in Emmanuel Sanders, and he was he was pretty good. I, I yeah, that one crushed me because Gabe Davis and Man, Emmanuel Sanders both played pretty well. I mean, they were like 15 yards a catch. You know, just about 55, 60 uh, catch percentage. You know, like pretty pretty good, especially for the way that they were winning downfield. Uh, they were both exactly at 8.7 yards a target. So like they played about the same. I really think like you say a big leap. I don't think so. I I, I think like if I'm projecting this offense, I'm going to put Stefan Diggs at 150 targets and Gabriel Davis at hundred. And you know, which I don't but think at a, at a 55% catcher hate, that's 55 catches, my man. That's right. That, I think he's going to be a about, little bit of a, I think he's going to be about a hundred to 110 targets, 60 catches, I, you know, 900 yards and eight touchdowns. Yeah. Yeah. Be the wide that, receiver 26. Like you said, I, that could put him in that range. Yes. Yeah. But, that, that, but with upside and downside from there, I agree. Okay. Like, yeah. but you have to admit that there's also 125 target, 1100 yard, 10 touchdown upside. Yes. It's there. Yeah. Yes. It's there for and sure. Then and also he, maybe he does take a leap, you know, and then maybe he's just better. And there's also floor. And I said, it, I, I just tweeted yesterday. I was like, his floor is like, I don't know, maybe 2021 Kendrick Bourne, or may I say 2021 Gabriel Davis. Like he used to be the same guy he was for the last two years. That's also very, very possible, which as you point out is virtually unplayable. Right. And you look, the thing here's here, I'm already, I already know what's going to happen too, because you look at Emmanuel Sanders and he had a couple, two touchdown games, right? I, mean, I was victory lapping him because I like Manny Sanders. And you know, what's going to happen is that he's going to have those games and, you know, my mentions are going to be filled with people. And then he's going to have some down games, you know, because that's the nature of high A dot roles yes. and then those type situations. And, and no one's going to come back to me and say, oh, he had a bad game. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so I know, I know how that goes, man. I'm fully on board with it, dude. Sometimes you got to the pot a bit but i'm just warning people like warning the people that think the way i do that are ag- aggressively conservative is the way that i play where it's like in the early picks i'm taking the guys that i trust the most so that i can later on take all these crazy upside stabs like if you're taking upside stabs the whole way through the draft yeah. you're setting yourself for too much volatility volatility yeah. so i like being conservative early because i love f- trying to find late sleepers and stuff you know so yeah. so once the late sleepers the late sleeper type guys, guys like him that have never had a top 50 wide receiver season. Now we're, we're everything's based on hypothetical. Once those guys yeah. go up into that range, that's the thing that makes me uncomfortable. That's yeah. why he became that guy. Amon Ross St. Brown became that guy for me where it's like, these are the guys I like when they're cheap and I, I'm terrified of them when they're expensive. Well, I just traded one of my Gabriel Davis um, shares uh, away with Marcus Mariota Justin Fields and Jahan Dotson and Superflex. Yeah, wow. That's a package, man. You know what I got? What'd you get? Justin Herbert. 
Jesus, man. So that's what I mean. It's like that's that's what I'm talking about with like the the conservative thing because it, this uh, is dynasty, obviously, and it's like you might have just got right the number one guy. I mean, like, can we talk yeah. about that? I know it's later oh, on the show. So no, why don't go. we just talk about that right now? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, like, that's the situation with me with my rankings. The way I handle things is that like in any given year, especially in four point passing leagues. In redraft, yeah. the top quarterback to me has to be a guy with the crazy rushing upside and, you know, the Lamar Jackson potential to to just straight up, you know, Cam Newton straight up one leagues that year, that one time. Like if you had Cam Newton, people forget, if you had Cam Newton that year, you just won, right? Yeah. So for me, it's, you know, it's like got to be the 50 touchdown guys because Peyton Manning, 50 touchdown seasons, you just won. Your quarterback throws 55 touchdowns, you win. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that's just the way it goes. So like those guys have to be at the top. But in Dynasty for me, I look at it right now. I personally have to have Josh Allen there because he might be the only dude that can sustain being a tank for for a long time in this league. Yes. But like Justin Herbert is a guy, especially in six point passing, where I like you are locking that in for years, set it and forget it. Don't yep. even think about it. There's That's something right. to be said for that. And yeah. I still think Mahomes is in that realm. And I still think, you know, Joe Burrow is kind of getting there for me, but like that, that type of value, especially in a position that I, that annoys me, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yes. I, and I, it's like, I played quarterback back in the day and like, I understand how much of it depends on everything around you to a certain degree, you know, and it's so yeah. hard to predict especially dude, these people trying to predict which rookie quarterbacks are going to be good or not. You're outside of your mind, man. You yeah. know, it's like, how do you know you're not in there for these interviews, you know, seeing how they respond to the X's and O's and stuff. You don't know if, uh, Jamarcus Russell is actually going to watch his film, which he didn't do. You know, Best it's like, you could, ever. you could never, right. Yeah. The fake DVD story, right? Yeah, It's the greatest ever. Like you could never know that. So that's why for me, that's the toughest position. And I love not having to think about it. I would rather get a quarterback early or have in dynasty one of the best quarterbacks and just not have to think about it, you know? So I love that trade for you. And I, I, I love Justin Herbert, man, like what he represents in terms of, and he's also, you know, he's not, he's not stiff. Like he's not like a, no, no. he's not like Tom Brady where it's like when he has a five yard run, there's memes, you know what I mean? Like this yeah. guy, if it's open, he can run for it. That that's that's the difference for me. Where you know, he, and he's still doing the QB sneaks for touchdowns and all that. So he, for me, that especially in six point, there's no, I I I don't have him at QB one. But if somebody did, I wouldn't call them stupid. You know? I agree with that 100. Um, percent As a matter of fact, uh, I was just in a startup this off season, and uh, you know, it was me and Kyle. It's a campus to Canton league, and I was drafting the the um, the NFL side, and he gave me the 1.02. He's like dude, you need it more than I do. And he's right. No, I'm joking. But we, we took the 1.02. And so Josh Allen goes one and I'm on the clock at the 1.02 in a super flex startup. And I will tell you that I thought long and hard about only two players and it was Herbert and it was Mahomes. And so Herbert is certainly right there because, you know, for a while it would have been Mahomes auto pick, like don't even waste my time. But I, I tanked a little bit and I actually – tried to move back a spot figuring that maybe someone still had that feeling. Um, but of course it's a pretty sharp league and they were like, no, no I'm good, bro. So I, right. I, I had to sit there and pick and I did take Mahomes. I did, but it's like, it was not a like, Oh, this is stupid. Why am I even thinking about it? It was, they're right there together. And to your point about um, Herbert, you know, look, he's had basically, you know, 500 and basically 300 yards rushing each year. Um, plus eight touchdowns. So he's averaging four touchdowns. So that's a pretty good little bonus on top of his prolific passing. 
And right now, while we're here, we were just talking about whether or not, you know, Herbert is the quarterback one in dynasty. Um, it's he's on he's on the list. He's on the menu. There's only three players right now, in my opinion. It's Mahomes, Josh Allen, and uh and Herbert. While I'm here, I will ask you, do you prefer six or four point passing touchdown leagues? Uh, you know, I prefer four. Um yeah. just because I, you know, I I don't like, and you know, I mentioned I I won a league because of Cam Newton, and I I don't like that situation where a QB just win, you know, can just take over and win win matchups and just kind of take over the whole league. Like I had a guy who had, you know, um, he had Aaron Rodgers and uh, Devontae Adams, and his team was terrible, and he won the league, and he talked all this trash, and I'm just mm-hmm. like, to you know, it's like that type, of, and it was a six point passing league, and that type of situation to me, I, I like more balance. I like the yeah. other positions to matter more. I, I like them to mean more, but I, I totally get the six point because the you know touchdowns are worth six points, so yeah. I can go either way on it. Uh, you know, definitely in one QB leagues, it, you know, it's it's uh, yeah, you know, six point passing makes more sense. And as for Patrick Mahomes. Like last year when you made that pick, I would have been fully on board with that. And I've got a take. I had a take for the last couple of years where I said, I'm not even fully against Patrick Mahomes at one overall in one QB dynasty leagues, because (laughs) if you could go back in time and take, you know, four or five years into his career and take Peyton Manning and just have Peyton Manning, you would do it. You know what I mean? Like when you, when you start sitting there and and really doing the hindsight math and saying, if it were 2005 and I could pick somebody and have them for their whole career, you would take a quarterback, you would take Peyton Manning, you know what I mean? Like you wouldn't take a running back knowing in your mind, this guy's going to play for six years and knowing that Peyton Manning a decade from now is going to throw 55 touchdown passes on (laughs) a totally different team, you know, on the Denver Broncos. It's like, he's going to throw 49 touchdown passes to Reggie Wayne and all and Marvin Harrison. It's like you knowing that in, in hindsight. And I looked at Patrick Mahomes at the time and the contract he signed and the situation around him. And it was why, like this guy, why can't he be our generation's paid man where he just plays until he's, you know, it's like, those are the things you got to think about in dynasty where sometimes picking the state, like I said, hyper conservative, but if in hindsight, if you could have that, then get it. And that's, I truly think that some of these guys can be those guys, you know? Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the Patrick Mahomes, when he popped his knee, back into place. Remember when his kneecap was on the side of his leg and he just like threw it back over and was like, what's the next play coach? That's, that's when he, that's when he, that's when he earned my respect. That's metal, dude. Yeah. That's serious. Like, Some of these guys, man, it's crazy, yeah. dude. Yeah, Tyler guys, Lockett, man. Tyler Lockett's a guy like that. where like, you think he's injury prone. Then you look at it and he's never missed a game. I mean, he went to the hospital straight from the stadium and played yeah. the next week. Like Almost some lost of these guys, his leg. Yeah. yeah. Jarvis Landry, there's like that clip of Jarvis Landry where he's yelling at people, telling them injuries are contagious. Yeah. And it's like, are you, are you telling your teammates not to get hurt, brother? Yeah. Like that is, that's some, that's metal, dude. You yeah. know, by the way, I, I do, I do commission uh six point passing touchdown leagues, uh, pretty yeah. much every single one of them. But I also, so I also add rushing half a point per first down. So that kind of evens out some of the rushing quarterbacks and everybody else. So I don't know. I, I, I like, I like everything to matter. I, I hate it when the guy throws a touchdown pass, you only get four, but this guy got six. Like, especially if like you threw a touchdown pass, your guy threw it to like, you know, Herbert to Mike Williams. 
and like Mike Williams, so you're like, fuck, man, I only got like, what did I get there? Because <laughs> right. the yards matter more for the wide receiver and everything. You're like, what? Did I? I just got like three points. He got like, you know, whatever. So yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things where I, I I do like the touchdowns to all count for six, no matter how the fuck you get them. Um, but that's just me. But I love it that way, though. Like, if you're going to do it that way, I'd much prefer that because now you're I love when first downs are part of it on the platforms you can do that on. Yeah, because these teams and I've been like, this is part of my argument with fantasy football is that like these coaches, they're not sitting here thinking, how are we going to make sure we get Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill the, enough touches so they can be good in fantasy football? Like no one's sitting down and doing that. No. They're sitting down in these meetings and they're saying, hey, if it's if it's second and 12 how are we getting this first down if it's third and two how are we getting this first down yep. it's all about first downs it's all about touchdowns like yep. the whole game is based on first downs think yep. about yourself the way you watch football when when they don't get the first down and they got to kick a field goal and they get points you're disappointed that's yep. how much first downs matter in real life football nobody yep. cares about you know making sure that their their guys get enough touches to get their respect for fantasy football gamers out there in the world you know like no one they they could not care any less yeah i'm anti ppr i am half ppr half point per first down it's it should be the way it is i mean it it doesn't even make any sense to me that anybody would push back on that the the ppr is just nonsense cuz you get guys like you know I don't know, Theo Riddick, yeah, th- third and 15, Theo Riddick catches a swing pass for seven. And it's like, what? That was a huge play. No, it wasn't. That was a throwaway play. But yet, you know, Javante Williams runs up the middle on fourth and one for a first down. And it's like point one. It's like, oh, come on. Like, that was a huge play. So, like, those two things sort of correct themselves. You only get half point for the for the catch on the other play. And you get a half point for that first down. Those two plays, even still, the, the damn Theo Riddick swing pass was worth more. But at least it's not as much of a disparity between the two. And so, yeah, I, I try to reward, like, players who do good things for actual football that way good actual good players are worth more in the fantasy space sounds fucking crazy but that's how i like to play yeah for sure man like i threw rondell moore's name out there that guy had eight games last year where he finished the game with a negative average depth of target <laughs> yes it's negative crazy. his his average depth of target for the season was 1.3 yards right yeah. so like yeah he should get points when he catches a screen and runs for for 50 yards behind christian kirk blocking but you know if you catch a you know a screen and get duffed for five right. yards behind the line of scrimmage, that's positive points in full yes. PPR. So, so I'm with stupid. you on that. Yeah, bro. get out of here. Um, speaking Great play. Of, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we're talking about uh, uh, Herbert. We jumped ahead on the on the show sheet, which is totally fine. But, like, we definitely talked about Herbert being QB1. I think part of that, too, is, like, the, the infrastructure around the team. I've said it a couple times that the Los Angeles Chargers are my team to win the Super Bowl this year. So far, like, you know, I mean, obviously I, I haven't gone so far as to make an official prediction, but if you ask me right now, Chargers, Super Bowl 2023, who you got? So honestly, man, it's a lame answer, but yeah. I think the Los Angeles Rams are the most complete team right now. Yeah. You know, they have all the pieces they need. I think Odell's going to end up going back there and they went out and they, they beefed up the defense, you know, salary cap be damned i don't apparently it's not real but i think they're they're one of the most complete teams and they should be everyone's favorite to win um you know the teams don't seem to have the hangover when they win the super bowl that they do when they lose it 
Uh, yeah. So for me, that's the team. I think that, you know, and again, Gabe Davis, truthers are going to hate me for this, but I think the Bills just didn't do enough. I mean, you look at a team like the Bengals, like look at last year's playoffs where it was like the Bengals have T Higgins and, uh, you know, and Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd. And then you have like the Buccaneers put together a team that's like Antonio Brown and Chris Godwin and, and Amari Cooper and the Cowboys. It's Gallup, Lamb, uh, you know, and Amari, like all these teams have all this crazy firepower when they're actually competing. I was very surprised to see the Bills kind of sit back and say, oh, you know, we hope that Gabe Davis can be Emmanuel Sanders, maybe a, maybe a little better version, or we hope that Jameson Crowder could be the same thing that Cole Beasley was. It's like, I don't think they were, maybe they're not remembering, but they, they didn't win with the team they had. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I know it came down to a coin flip or whatever, but, you know, they could have gone out and gotten, uh, you know, a lot more to be that team. I still like them. They're still my favorite to come out of the AFC. I just think that they would have been my favorite. Even if they add, like, it, it's, kind of, it's kind of too late now, but let's say they go out and add a field stretcher in Will Fuller, and they don't even use him full time, but they have that speed guy to complement the other things they have, that would be a more, I know it, would, it would, wouldn't be great for, for the values of Gabe Davis and James Crowder, but it would, it would, they would have a full complement of wide receivers right now. That's so fragile what they have. If, if yeah. Diggs goes down they're they're, they're in huge trouble. Yeah. I mean, yeah, well maybe, but Will Fuller would be, would, would put a dent in Gabe Davis's target share for the three games. He'd be healthy. That's for right. sure. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, but just, I, mean, I, know your, I know your point though. If he's healthy for the play, you know, it's like if he misses most of the season, but he's there for the playoffs. I mean, just to have the field, the, the additional piece that I think they're missing and the additional depth that I think they're missing. Like, you know, uh, Isaiah McKenzie is, uh, he's a God against my Patriots, but against most teams, he's not that, yeah. that great. You know? So it's like, if you, you set yourself up, the Steelers did this so many years in a row, that Steelers team should have won so many more Super Bowls, but Big Ben would get hurt or AB would get hurt or Le'Veon Bell would get hurt. And then the season would be over. Right. Like they're, they're kind of set themselves. Most teams, if your quarterback gets hurt, you're dust. Yeah. But I mean, this team, honestly, they've got too many players where if that one player gets hurt, they're in huge trouble. Yeah. Now, you know, I think I picked the Chargers to win the Super Bowl. It's really a, a donkey pick because you should definitely be picking an NFC team because there's only a couple of them. Whereas in the AFC, it's loaded. You know I mean? If you, if you want to, have a better shot of picking the the Super Bowl winner. You'd pick like either the Bucks or the Rams. That's a smart pick. Uh, the AFC is just loaded now. Um, you know, you got your Bills, you've got the Ravens, you've got the uh, the Bengals, you've got the Browns. If mm. you know Deshaun plays, I don't know. I mean, that's a loaded roster. You've got the AFC West just just stacked. You've got the AFC South with Indianapolis with an up a quarterback upgrade on a great roster, and last year's number one seed basically bringing everybody back. Except for AJ Brown, they've got a you know AJ Brown two point potentially whatever. But you know that's a that's a good squad too, well coached, tough as nails, right? So a lot of great teams in the AFC. But in that AFC West, you know, in terms of uh, fantasy, I think figuring out the Denver Broncos is kind of um, a little bit of a skeleton key to maybe having some success in fantasy drafts because we have so many questions about them, like you know uh, Judy or Sutton and all this other stuff. Um, in terms of ADP, who do you like at ADP for the for the Broncos? Or, or tell us the same story about the Broncos you did about the Dolphins. Dude, that's I'm so glad you set it up that way because that's the perfect way to look at it, right? Like Tyreek Hill, wide receiver 9, Jalen Waddle 15, Kaseki tight end 12, right? 9, 12, 15. That quarterback's going QB 17. 
Right. So here how, we go. So explain this dichotomy to me, right? Like Jerry Judy, wide receiver 22, Corlin Sutton 23, Alberto tight end 15, quarterback eight. Right. How's that work? Like how is Tim <laughs> Tim Patrick is a mate is that good? You know what yeah, I mean? Like what's right. going on with that that situation? So I think that's where the value is where you take the wide receivers and you know, I'm still interested in in the QB if I can if I can uh, stack them up, but uh you know, it's the QB becomes less appealing to me if everyone's like, "Oh, I don't we don't like these pass catchers, but you know, Russell Wilson is going to do something special somehow, you know?" So <laughs> yes. I I don't mind taking Judy or Sutton. I think Judy is finally hopefully in a it really depends how they want to use Tim Patrick. Yep. There's two situations, right? Because you're not going to, no team truly has three wide receivers on the field for every single snap, right? The no. Rams were the closest at about 88%, which is insanely insane high, right? number. Yeah. Same number, but it's still, you know, that's still not even 90, you know? So the real question at the end of the day is who comes off the field for those two wide receiver sets, right? Now in Dallas, we know that CeeDee Lamb was coming out. Now he won't. Right. right. So That's now yeah. he's the guy, right? Like he came out, he was coming out for Gallup and Cooper. Now he yes. stays. Uh, Tyler Boyd went from being a guy that was out there to now being the guy that comes out. That explains why he kind of went from these thousand yard seasons down to like 800. Is Jerry Judy going to be out there in two tight, two wide receiver sets, or is it going to be Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick? That's the question you got to ask yourself when you're taking Judy. And because that question even exists, I prefer to take Cortland Sutton. That's very well said. I, I do, you know? I do, I do like that uh, point. That Judy is more likely to be the sort of slot role, and Tim Patrick, the bigger, stronger, potentially better blocker, did get a contract. Uh, might be their sort of, you know, heavier set, um, heavier sets wide receiver choice uh, out wide. I, I don't disagree. They also, uh, you know, Alberto seems to be in line for a pretty heavy snap share at tight end. They did draft Dulcich, who we all like, but he's mm. a little bit more of a move tight end. So therefore the second quote unquote tight end, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. he, he's not likely to play in line over Alberto. That just doesn't really jive with who he is as a player, let alone the fact that he's a rookie tight end, which usually never uh, happens. Um, so I do think Alberto is going to get a pretty uh, steady share of tight end snaps. And while there's Patrick and Hamler and uh, Judy and Sutton and Javante and Melvin Gordon and all these other players, it's still, there's a certain percentage of targets that are going to find the tight ends in any offense. What do you think uh, Alberto, like sort of, what are you, what are you projecting for him target wise uh, going into 2022. I mean, so so first of all, Alberto is a freakazoid. I know you you like him in Dynasty, and I do too, because this guy is crazy athletic. I think people under like because of the existence of like Evan Ingram's and Kyle Pitts in there 40 times, they don't realize how good a 4.540 is for tight end. That's 90 98th to 97th percentile speed for this position. Right. This guy, yeah, this guy's a stud, right? So we know that. The the only concern is of course that the vast majority of guys that have top five, six upside in fantasy are guys that either lead their tar- lead their team in targets or are at least second, which we don't predict for Alberto. Right. Uh, Greg Dulcich, Dulcich, he doesn't scare me because I think this team looked at what they need in terms of, uh, you know, making the most of their positions. Right. If you can have a guy that can come in the field on the field, if multiple different be the backup for multiple guys. Right. Rather than just being the understudy for Albert O, he can be the understudy for Tim Patrick as well. And Cortland Sutton. Like if one of those guys gets hurt, 
you bring him in and have him play big slot or whatever. And now like if either Sutton or Patrick gets hurt, he comes in and plays big slot. The other guy moves to moves to split end. And now Judy's a full-time flanker. And that's how, you know, it's like having those guys is so valuable in in roster composition doesn't really translate unless someone gets hurt. You know, it's like, uh, like Gabe Davis last year, he could play all the roles, but he only goes in and plays them when someone gets hurt. That's what I think he's going to be. So for me, Albert O is a dude that I'm taking in best ball because I know Russell Wilson could throw you or me a touchdown pass at, you know what I mean? Like he's just the magic man. It doesn't matter who you are. You know, it's like if they, if their tight end was a shopping cart, I would pencil him in for like five touchdowns, you know? So that's where I'm at with that. The thing is, if I'm drafting an Alberto in a, in my regular redraft leagues, I'm also taking a stab on someone else later that's high risk, high reward, and vice versa. If I earlier in the draft, if I'm going for someone that's high risk, high reward before Alberto, I'll take him as my safe guy because I think he's going to be a guy that you know gets at least a few targets a week and is a threat to score a touchdown at any given week. Just like a lot of guys ahead of him. I mean, like now that it's like it's like people pretending like the Dallas Goddard. Uh, you know, AJ Brown trade didn't happen or, you know, with Mike Gusecki, we said the same thing. Now these guys became, you know, their third targets on the team going to get some targets might score a touchdown. I don't see Alberto any different. So he's in that class for me of, uh, you know, if I'm taking, if I'm waiting and taking two tight ends, he's my safe guy, but I'm still going to go for somebody that has, you know, a crazy low floor, but a high upside. And we can talk about some of those guys if you want. Yeah, we sure will. And you know, my my research the 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 anatomy of a of an elite tight end has always brought me to size and speed. No no better measure of size and speed than speed score. Uh, Alberto has a hundredth percentile speed score for the tight <laughs> is, end position. So is yeah, that he, good? Yeah, is that good? <laughs> Best of all time. Like yeah. So I mean, he's a big guy who runs fast, and just that alone gives him immense upside it doesn't make him a good football player that alone does not make him a good football player but he may also be a really good football player he just missed a day two draft capital he was the 12th pick of the fourth round and by all accounts fell there it wasn't you know i mean this was crazy our new england patriots you remember this drafted two tight ends in the third round dalton keen or whatever the fuck his name was and devin asiasi and I was like beside myself as an Albert O fan. Like, did we just fucking take two back-to-back tight ends and pass on the, you know, the, the skeleton? It's as if they don't know. <laughs> it's like a- Nightmare, bro. And then Nightmare. like Bill, like we talked about earlier with Belichick, he immediately vaporized both of them by paying <laughs> paying the two biggest tight end, tight ends in free agency. It's like, dude, yes. what's the matter? What's the matter with you, Bill? It's unbelievable. The draft is so bad sometimes. I mean, we don't want to get into it, but but yeah, that's where the 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 upside for uh, Alberto comes from. It's like if I know what an uh, an elite tight end looks like, they have this trait. He has it. Now he's in line to be the starter. It's like. That's what I want to do. And, you know, I have said all along that I can I can see, just like Gabriel Davis, I can see the floor. I see it. But I also see the ceiling. Why? Because he's a downfield threat with the guy with the best arm in, in the world. Oh, that sounds like a pretty good play. Uh, mm-hmm. He's also in line for more snaps. So, therefore, I see the Gabriel Davis ceiling, which is why, you know, you go out and I, I said that he's going to be, a you know, 1,100 yards, 10 touchdowns on uh, the Mina Mansion. But, you know, it's like, whatever. Yeah. I also understand that's also possible that he's just Gabriel Davis from last year too. Same thing with Albert O. It's like, yeah, I get it. He might have like 55 targets and you know, just kind of be a nothing burger. It's certainly possible. I get that. But if he hits his ceiling, 
His ceiling is ripping the seam with a team that has weapons all around him. And he's just catching, even if he's like four catches, 80 yards and a touch, that's a huge game. So it doesn't, he doesn't even need to have this gigantic target share. He just has to, as you point out, catch touchdowns in an offense that's going to probably score a lot of them and, you know, and, and have big plays on a team that should have some of those too. So, and, and his snap share, unless Dulcich is somehow this, you know, otherworldly inline tight end that just steals all of his playing time, I see Albert O as having that, that ceiling. And when I'm looking at tight ends, Coop, you know this, like, Tight end five through tight end 25 every year is like the same guy. You know what I mean? Mm, like right. we, 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 we do this thing with tight ends. Where we're like, Oh, it's so, so deep this year. Right. We always say that. And then it's what, it's not fucking deep. It's like, no. there's these elite guys. And then there's these, you know, uh, there's just everybody else and everybody else kind of falls into sort of the same bucket. There are like a, a, a fantasy point or two per game separating them, you know, tight end eight to tight end 22. Right. And so when I'm drafting, if I don't get an elite guy, I'm trying to get an elite guy. And the reason for that, game theory-wise, is because if I don't get an elite guy, how hard is it to get an average guy? It's easy. There's fucking 10 of them. They're on the waiver wire. It's like, I can just play matchups. I can just be like, oh, they're, you know, I mean, it's so easy to just, you know, take a gamble with, on these guys later if, they, if your guy doesn't, quote-unquote, pan out as elite. So I'm just looking for ceiling. And as I look for that, there's a lot of ceiling plays after tight end 12. Do you have any that you really like? Yeah. I mean, well, so that gets into my big article I write every year. It's my strategy called yin yang tight end, right? Yin and yang tight end where the yin is your safe guy. Yang is your upside guy, right? So if you don't take a guy in the first five, you're in that situation, yes. right? And we know historically that there's two paths to being a top five tight end. Right. And most of my leagues are 10 to 12 team leagues. So if my tight end isn't top five or six, I mathematically have a below average starting tight end. I mean, that's, like, right. that's just that's math. Right. Yeah. You know, that's that's the easiest part of this math. Here's another easy one. Right. Every top five tight end going all the way back to Randy McMichael in 2003 has had either. 90 plus targets or 10 plus touchdowns Bingo. every single one and the vast majority of them have gotten there with the targets they either had the targets and the touchdowns or they just had the targets but there's there's only a handful of them less than less than 10 percent that got there just on the touchdowns we're mm. talking like robert tunyon which yeah. you don't even feel good about it because in your regular league he you know he was it was great until he pulled your pants down in the championship with one reception you know right. it's just like you can't trust that so what i do is i wait and i take one safe guy that i can trust at the beginning of the season that has a target floor and then I take a stab on on some sort of high risk, high reward guy, right? And this strategy has netted, uh, you know, my fantasy alarm members and the, my followers, uh, Mark Andrews, Darren Waller, Darren Logan Waller. Thomas in yep. past years. Because yep. what people forget is that two, uh, and, and same goes for quarterbacks to a certain degree. Like, how did you get Patrick Mahomes? You didn't draft him and start him week one. You couldn't do it. And in, in, in the year he broke out, right? You weren't starting Mark Andrews week one. You weren't starting Darren Waller. You either drafted those guys on your bench or you got lucky on the wire. Right. So our, our move is to try and beat the wire. And I look at, uh, you know, situations of, of course, after, you know, touchdowns are so hard to predict, but there are guys that are, uh, you know, touchdown guys, Rob Gronkowski, Hunter Henry, if you want to go the touchdown route and your league is standard half PPR, those guys are guys going outside the top 12 that I could easily see them leading the league in touchdowns. Hunter Henry just did it, right? right. He just tied for the lead league. After that, I'm looking for targets. I want guys that can be 
either the top target on their team or top two. So I'm looking at Cole Komet. Why can't he be the top, the second target after Darnell Mooney, right? He, David and Joe. Very, very well will be, right? I'm with you. Very well will be. The big one for me, man, I, and you know, I, I'll have this conversation all day long. People love to joke about it, but Evan Ingram. Evan yeah. Ingram, just a year ago, 2020, he was fourth in targets, fifth in receptions, eighth in yards, tied for 51st in touchdown receptions. The team was dead last in touchdowns that year. Why can't he not only go to a different situation with a QB, Trevor Lawrence, that could be better than, than, uh, you know, but then Daniel Jones, you know, he was a, Evan Ingram was a top five tight end with the shell of Eli Manning, you know, yeah. like it's not, it's not crazy. Why can't he lead that team in targets? Is it set in stone that Christian Kirk or Marvin right. Jones, you know? So like that's, and he's, he's like tight end 24. You spend tight nothing on the guy. Yep. Right. So these are the guys I'm looking at where it's like, uh, you know, once I, if I take the perfect pairing right now for me is you take Zach Ertz. Yes. You know that he's. Dude, you're thinking him. the same thing, right? Dude, I just I'm I'm in a, I'm I, I mean Zach Ertz is like found money. He's look you, right now. You, if, let me give you the 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 top on this is underdog ADP right now. So I mean <laughs> it's it's pretty sharp. It's probably going to reflect uh, redraft ADP. Uh, you know at least similarly. It's close, like yeah. Kelsey Andrews Pitts. By the way, Pitts almost should be tight end one. I mean, no if you Pitts. can get Pitts at value, I think he's a great. Uh, a, a great pick. He's 32, so that's a third round pick. I, I love Pitts. Um, Waller, Kittle, Schultz also is a great value if you can get him at value. Hawkinson, Goddard, mm-hmm. Dawson Knox. I, I'm I'm definitely not taking him there. I'm taking Ertz above that, and then it's Ertz. So it's like right. Ertz is like what tight end ten. So like you know, I love taking Zach Ertz because right. you're right. Like unless he gets hurt, he is very likely to like have 100 120 targets this year i mean almost guaranteed and for and for the yin yang tight end right where it's like you pick the safest possible guy that you yeah. can start week one like yeah. I, dude I, I swear to god i just got goosebumps thinking about it dude you yeah. can see it the hair is standing up on my arms you take zach Ertz, a guy that's a known target hog on a team where their number one target is suspended for six games yes i'm gonna miss guaranteed to miss the first six games you can start this guy during that period and in the back of your mind you on the bench you throw an evan ingram on there you throw uh you know somebody on like anybody on there that you believe in brevin jordan do you got to do the math in your head how does this guy leapfrog that group of guys that are all guaranteed to be third on their team gasecki third right dallas goddard no one's projecting him to get more targets than those wide receivers right like take take a shot on evan ingram and if you catch lightning in a bottle you can trade Ertz. You can start two tight end sets if you got right, it. Yeah. But like, figure out how you're going to find this year's Mark Andrews. And Ertz is the perfect bridge to get there because yeah. he's got that exact situation. You know, it's like same with like a if Gronk does sign back. Uh, you know, and Schultz is another one where you know they're they're likely to start the season without Michael Gallup. You yep. know, so he he could be better at the beginning of the season. You just never get complacent. I hate. I hate the narrative that you only draft one tight end and then that's it. Like at some point somebody said that and then that's just it's set in stone now. Like that's the dumbest thing ever. Your bench is for making your starting lineup better. If you have to use a bench spot on a quarterback or a tight end or a defense and it makes your team better, then that's what the bench is for. 
you know, and so. it totally depends on like like uh, roster construction. Like in other words, uh, uh, you know, what uh, if it's like a Yahoo standard fucking where it's like five benches? Like maybe not, hmm, because maybe then you not. have all of the. It's hard, man. Th- those are difficult. I hate playing those leagues though anymore because right, right. like we're talking about like Logan Thomas is tight end twenty five, like. 25 like that's crazy you know and, and you just said uh um uh, Ert, uh not Ertz uh Engram is uh tight end 24 uh Noah Fant tight end 21 um Gerald Everett I mean you know we just talked about uh Herbert he's tight end 22 uh you mentioned Brevin well, let, me, let me stop let me yeah, stop you real quick it. on Gerald Everett because that's such a good example when you want to compare like okay so you have Keenan Allen Mike Williams Josh Palmer didn't show us much. They didn't really add much. Like, why Why is Gerald Everett in a drastically different situation than Dallas Goddard, besides the fact that he has a better quarterback? It's like, what, what are we – I feel like I'm taking crazy pills when I look at Gerald Everett going at 22. And these guys, like, the conditions for Dallas Goddard have changed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's not, it's not the same as last year. So you got to draft him differently. That's – so for me, Goddard for me is, un, is likely going to end up in my fades – Arkle yeah. just because of the conditions. You know yeah. what I mean? Like Pat Fryermuth. I love Fryermuth in Dynasty, but he's Deontay Eight. Johnson's there. Claypool's yeah. there. Yeah. Uh they drafted George Pickens. The quarterback is is either going to be bad or very bad. You know, the scale of it's a scale of rookie to not good. And it's 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 really kind of a I I the ADPs don't make sense in that way to me. Sorry to cut you off there. I but Gerald no, Everett's the perfect example of like why are you taking this guy here? If you could wait and take the same guy here. Yeah, absolutely. And and speaking of like uh standard Yahoo leagues with or ESPN leagues, you gotta settle this for me, man. You gotta tell me what the hell happened with Tommy Pham and Jock Peterson. What <laughs> settle the debate for us? Everybody's been waiting. They're like, they're like listening to this podcast going, when the fuck is Jack's gonna mention? It? As if I ever talk about this shit, I never do. But like this one got me bad. I was watching Jock Peterson's uh three and a half minute, like it was like I mean, he was like, and then I had it to the IR, but like, <laughs> it was fucking outstanding. I love that dude. I was like, his dyed blonde hair, and he's just like, doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Uh, this guy is epic. I just absolutely, he deserved to be slapped just for talking that way, but I, I don't understand. <laughs> it was just so entertaining. I loved every minute of it. I don't understand. He what sounded happened? like a he sounded like a kid like he got called in the principal's office, right? And they were like, why yes. did you guys fight? And he's no, like, well, because then- like I was like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right but hey the thing is i'm 100 team jock on this yes. one man like it's crazy tommy fam what are you doing dude like yes. the, I, i'm always the guy trying to get any edge i can as long as it's within the rules right yes. like i don't tank in dynasty because my dynasty like when i tank it means trade away guys like i'm not going to just like right. bench my starters but we have rules against that in my leagues right in this situation but if there weren't rules and you felt like it was best for your team you should do it that's the real. That's how I feel. Exactly, dude. Like this isn't baseball, bro. Of course, the baseball dudes are going to argue about unwritten rules because yes. that's such a baseball. It's like you can't step on the base path. Like, what are you, an idiot, dude? Right. Yeah. I, I wish. Yeah, I wish Bill Belichick could coach a baseball team for one year. And oh just my god. Throw, just be like, oh, where where's it say I where where's it say I shouldn't steal second when we're up ten? Right. Never yes. be like, yeah. Well, I guess that's not a rule. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, it's not. Fuck like, it's I, not. Yeah. We're on <laughs> second amazing. now. This is proceed. Yeah. This motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> that would be amazing, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, there you go. Shut up. You know, so but but for real though, it's like if you have an IR spot, put guys in there. If you have an IR spot and your guy's healthy and you can leave him in there, leave him in there. Yeah. Where does it say you can't use that spot the way you want? If you want to drop your kicker to pick up handcuffs, 
do it. Whatever you yes. can do to get an advantage, right? So I'm 100% on Jock Peterson here. I think Tommy Fan, fam, dude, ridiculous the way he acted out there. And I think I think at the end of the day, Mike Trout needs to get a, get get a hold of this league and, and really step up and be a real commissioner. You know, start putting things to votes. Do do something here. Come on, Trout. You're the greatest player, greatest player in the world, and and probably not the greatest commissioner. It sounds yeah, you like. can't commission a fucking fantasy football league. What's going on? But it's true too. Like there is a dirty rule, the the dirty play, which is like if you have like ten IRs. But, um, you know, it's like you can like openly pick up players without wa- waivers and you just pick up all the best guys who are like on IR, keep stashing them, stashing them, stashing them. Then that's kind of fucked up. Like if you pick mm-hmm. up guys who are, you know, but but I don't think that's what he did, you know, and even that it's like, is there a rule in the bio? It's kind of like, I no, I say stash them. If you have yeah. IR spot, what are those IR spots for? IR guys is that fucking are, guys- stupid anyway. Right. Guys that are at, it's for guys that are out. And I think what happened is in one of. Tommy Pham's leagues. This is like they haven't really got to the bottom of it, but I'm fairly confident what happened is Tommy Pham is in a ESPN league where ESPN for you know for the longest time they at least required the player to be on the actual injured reserve in real life to be moved into that spot. Right. So I think he's in a, he's in a league where he's like, oh, this guy isn't on IR. He's just out for a game. So he took a guy that was out and put him in the IR spot. Tommy Pham overreacted, being like, that's that's not right without realizing that this league has different rules. Right. I think that's, that's what happened. You know what I mean? I, there's no question in my mind. That's what happened. Right. And it, it, Tommy fam should probably apologize. Of course. There's only two ways that you can be pissed off about what someone does. Number one, like it's, it, it's like, uh, like the, if the computer allows it, so to speak, then it's fine. Unless there's a bylaw in the fucking written rules yes. of the commissioner that says, the specific thing that you're fucking doing is against the rules. Then you can be pissed off. Like that's the only thing other than that. It's like, if there's no bylaws that say you can't do the thing you did, then you just need to eat it. Tommy fam. You just need <laughs> to eat it, brah. You're done. Yeah, that's it. So we are team jock, even though I thought is his three and a half minute explanation of it was cringeworthy embarrassment, but I loved cool. every single moment of it. So. I want more. Yeah. If he could communicate better, things probably wouldn't have panned out the way they did. You know, totally. he could have just been like, yeah, by the way, this is the rules. But, you know, I'm sure he. Yeah, the he should have just been like, I put some player on the IR and it wasn't against the rules. So Tommy Fan can eat it. And then everybody yeah. would have been, that's like 15 seconds. People would have been like, oh, what okay. do you say about that, Tommy? And then he'd have to deal <laughs> with that fucking shit. Instead, it was, you know, the, the right. nonsense for three and a half minutes was just torturous. Love it. Um, hey, did you see uh, Dan Orlovsky? Did you see it? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. And like that. So I, this is what I was uh, the very, yeah, at this point, it's, it's like hours ago that I, that I said, you know, um, we'll get to that later when I was talking about the Boston sports guys and how it's their job to stir the pot and everything. And Dan Orlovsky is uh, being where he is in the industry. He's got a tough balance between what he believes and what is going to get people clicks. Like you look at some guys like Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless, like the only bad takes those guys have are the takes that don't make you react, right? Right. So I think with a guy like Orlovsky, he knows what he's doing and he's smart. He's good at this. So he makes he believes it. I think he believes it, but like he makes his tier list and he says, this is what I believe. How do I take this and spice it up a little bit? So like say he makes his tier list and Dak is – either at the beginning of one tier or at the very end, yeah. he goes out, builds that graphic that puts Dak, lumps him in, but it kind of lumps him in like towards the middle back part, yeah. right? Where like, if it was, you know, if Dak was first on that graphic, I think people would be less upset than be, he put him like 
in your mind, you look at it and you're like, you have him after Justin Fields and all these guys. Like, yeah. you know, he's like, he knows what he's doing. Right? Matt he Ryan, knows how to Baker Mayfield, pop. Dak Prescott, all in he, the same tier for me. Same tier. And he's at the end of it, you know, yeah. not even at the first. So I know, he knows what he's doing. He's he's a he's a takesman. I do like Dan Olowski is just in this case. I don't think he's right, man. Like, yeah, Dak Prescott. Like, what do you have to do? Like, what do you five five thousand yards and 30 touchdowns in the season? The next year, he's on pace to throw a mil. Like he was on pace to absolutely obliterate every single record when he hurt his ankle, like yeah. shatter, sh- super shatter. Like, no, uh, the guy that's thrown the most attempts in a season is uh it's either stafford or bledsoe and it's just over 700 those are the only two guys to throw oh sorry just over yeah just over 700 those are the only two guys to throw 700 he was on pace for 800 oh, like what have yeah what have knocked it out of the park and then last year four thousand five hundred yards 37 touchdowns like what what exactly do you what, <laughs> oh, yeah 37 touch uh, the year that um Lamar Jackson led the league in touchdowns. The year that Russell Wilson led the league in touchdowns, they threw less touchdown passes than 37. You know, it's like, what does this player have to do for people, besides win the Super Bowl, apparently, for people to respect him? And I think that Dan Orlovsky comes from that, that school of like, why don't you win something? You know, where it's like, uh, it's easy to do that. Whereas the rest of us, from a statistical standpoint and from a standpoint of like, you know, we can take a step back and be like, you know what? Like, is it Philip Rivers's fault that Bill Belichick and Tom Brady just, you know, were ridiculous? Is it Philip Rivers' fault that Marlon McCree intercepted the ball and then somehow fumbled it back to Troy Brown? Right. Like these guys are great players, you know, and it's it, and only one team gets to win. There's 32 teams. Like yes. I think Dak is a great quarterback. I think that, you know, he should be in the in the tier that you win because you have Dak Prescott. I Not agree. like he's saying where you're dra- kick dragging kicking and screaming you know he he's acting like Dak Prescott is uh you know uh Brad Johnson or somebody yes. you know what i mean it's yes. like yes. no ch- like you no if you win he's probably the mvp it's yeah. not even close to the same comparison. So I agree. I, like, yeah, he, yeah, he put him in. Up. He put him in. He put him in the, the the category of you can win with them, not you no. win because of them. And and I think that's just wrong with Dak. I mean, right. you know, he, you win because you have Dak, and they fucking proved it. They were, you know, they put in, you know, cardboard cutout backup. Even Andy Dalton, you know, and it was like not good. It did not garbage. look good at all. It was garbage. And he was dragging a team that had a shit defense the year that he cracked his ankle you know, to close losses or wins in every game. It was like 38. To, I always joked. It was like, you know, they'd lose 38, 34 and Dak wouldn't like score in the final drive. And they'd be like, fucking Dak, dude. And it's Sucks. like, you, know, it's like dude, you gave up 38. He was, he had five touchdowns. He threw like one incompletion on third and eight while you were trying to win the game. And he's a bum now. It's like, what the yeah. fuck is going on? Like, you know, uh, you know, it, so it doesn't make any sense to me. And, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm, I don't know if he's Tom Brady. I mean, I'm not saying that, but I mean, he's definitely in the, the, the category of you win because you have this guy. And then right. they proved it by when they didn't have him, that team was absolute dog shit. I would love to just be like, Hey Dan, explain to me what this team that wins dragging Dak Prescott looks like, like w- w- the defense wins it. Does <laughs> right. it, you know, it's like, uh, I mean, you know, maybe the running game alone wins it. I mean, we've seen teams like the 2016 Falcons, they were a top five team rushing the football, but Matt Ryan was still MVP of the league in QB two. It's like the, the, the days of dragging a team to the Super Bowl and winning with defense as of late, 
that's kind of not been working. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like, that's what I would ask him. You say, oh, you can win with this guy. It's like, how exactly does that happen? in right. your mind like what does it look like to you you know in reality i think they can win the super bowl there's no reason this team cannot win the super bowl with the line and the players they have and i know exactly what it looks like yes jack prescott super bowl mvp i love it i'm i'm with you i, I love dak i think he gets dunked on a lot even my uh our very own bill simmons uh in 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 his pod the other day said he's basically kirk cousins i was like get the fuck out of here you know and actually kirk cousins also brutally underrated but anyway we're moving on. Yeah. Um, so we're going to finish on some rookie talk and we're going to go out talking about rookie running backs. We're going to, I know you had some opinions and basically, especially how they play in year one. And, you know, it was funny. You were like, I don't know, let's talk about them. You know, you texted me and said, let's talk about them in terms of year one. And I was like, well, fuck, that's all that matters. Like, what is it? Because after year one, like you look back Khalil Herbert or Josh Kelly or whatever, it's like, Year one's all that matters because now Khalil Herbert's worth something and Josh Kelly's not or whatever. You know what I mean? So like, you know, these guys are right. You know what I'm saying? So like these running backs, what happens in year one basically dictates everything about whether or not they were a hit or a miss, even if they don't play that much. It's just like they have one good game where they show they can do it. Uh, They're a quality backup. They get, you know, they don't get replaced the next year because of, they suck. You know what I mean? Like right. Isaiah Spiller exists, you know? So all these backs and what their year one outcome looks like is really what they are for dynasty. Anyhow. So exactly, let's talk man. about it. Let's and you get a feeling it. like you, I, I'm glad you mentioned the quality backup, right? Because you get like, and I, you know me, man, I'm not a gut feel guy for the most part. I'm not a film guy, right? I'm a stats guy. I'm a uh, cut and dry type guy, but you can, like use your feelings about these players sometimes to to gauge their dynasty value. Like the feelings you get around Tony Pollard and Alexander Madison are a lot different than the feelings you get around like a Josh Kelly or a Trey Sermon or you know any of these guys. Like even though they're both technically backups, like you can you understand the upside of these guys. You've seen them uh, make plays. You know, like even uh, the other guy on the Vikings there uh, with Kine Nwangu, like when he ran that kickback, I was like, hey, this guy looks like an NFL player. Whereas when Justice Hill would go in the game and, you know, get like two carries and fumble, I'd be like, now I'm scared. I had a lot of Justice Hill, too, because, you know, I, I like the idea of it. But then it's like when you see it and you're like, oh, my God, like the you get that feeling right away of, of what you're getting here. So for me, I'm looking at it, you know, I'm doing a lot of underdog stuff and I'm looking at guys that can carve out a role for themselves and potentially, uh, you know, solidify themselves some value moving forward. Uh, so, you know, I'll throw one out there to start us Go off. Um, you know, we talked, like I said earlier, uh, you know, hot hand, Mike Shanahan, you got a situation over there where Trey Sermon didn't pan out particularly well. I'm hearing stuff out of camp already that, you know, they're putting him in there with the ones he, and he fumbled today. Like, um, not just not looking good for himself. Elijah Mitchell stole the role as a six round pick. And, you know, he's had, you know, got hurt three different times during the season, which has got to scare you a bit. Uh, so you've got Trey Sermon, a fourth round pick, uh, Elijah Mitchell, a six round pick. Then they come back out and they draft uh, Ty Davis Price. And they even tell you, like they came out and said, we were looking for a guy that offered something that our guys didn't. We wanted a guy that was rock solid, that could move the chains, you know, in an offense like Shanahan's where we've seen him time and time again, try different guys out and then just say, 
that's the guy. That's the guy for the next 10 games, right? Like yeah. he's he's done it so many times. Like most of all these guys, I'm see, I'm very much interested in this third round rookie that has better draft capital than these other two guys yep. and the possibility that Moster, uh, sorry, not Moster, might as well say Moster when I talk about Elijah Mitchell. You stop uh, You know, <laughs> and I like Elijah Mitchell, man. He looked awesome. It's just like, you know, all the, the three same. different- I know, I know. Yeah, it's like, you know, he, he he missed games at three different times and kudos to him for coming back, but we're talking knee, ribs, the whole deal. He's, you know, not built- that way like what if he just like who i'm thinking who can run with that role and this offense this isn't a situation where uh you know this is we're talking about trent williams who you know i I said teron armstead's the best in the business but it probably is trent williams right you got alex mack at center you got matt mcglinchy it's like this is a good offensive line so that role as we saw from elijah mitchell value down right so yes i'll throw him out first uh who are some other guys that you think and you know well, it's let's easy talk to, about Tyrion no, davis price Tyrion davis yeah. price right now um you know hold on let me just look real quick he is going off as the one two three four five six seven eight uh rb9 in your rookie draft i see him going generally that's on sleeper by the way uh mm-hmm. i see him going off generally you know late second and 12 teams right early third in some cases i think that's great value i'm not sure about uh i call him the serial killer uh because it's too much it's either tdp you down with tdp yeah you know me or it's serial killer Tyrion davis price so uh and i'm afraid those are both great yeah yeah, serial killer also serial killers had the three names which is you know you meet a guy with three names just you know fucking get him out of your right. life immediately. He could fucking For take sure. down your whole family. So, <laughs> but in this case, is he going to actually kill Elijah Mitchell is the question. I asked that uh, a couple weeks back and, you know, it was like, well, he's probably going to kill Sermon. And I, I get that because he's sort of that type of player. But what if, have you heard about this? Uh, hold on, I got to look up his name. Jo- is it Jordan Mason? Have you heard about this guy? Uh, from Tay Fran? Yeah. No, I haven't heard of these. Uh, hold on, his name swirling? is Jordan Mason. I see he's him. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, he's getting some camp hype. I was talking to Felix Sharp. He picked him in this league. I'm in with him, and I'm like, who the fuck is Jordan Mason? And next thing you know, he's now they're saying he's like, he's like the best looking. What if Jordan Mason, Trey I mean, Mason's, fucking Tyrion Davis Price? I mean, this is like the the Russian nesting doll situation. I mean, we're just opening up all these things, and next thing you know, it's the real answer is Jordan Mason. That's so that's the thing about when you look at these different offenses, this is the exact one to do it in. You know what I mean? Like if it's you talk about guys that go to the Patriots and they end up in this like the totally opposite thing where everyone plays a bit and they each have their own role and no one ever gets the full role. This is the this is the if there is ever a place for that kind of thing to happen. I'm interested. You know what I mean? I just I just look at this and they say, you know, like you said, RB nine in best ball. I mean, in um, in dynasty RB like a million in best ball. He's free. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right? yeah. And great last pick. Yeah. In best ball. Absolutely. Right. And yes. he was the fifth, the fifth guy off the board. You know yeah. what I mean? The fifth running back off, off the board this year, third round pick. Like, I don't see why in this, especially yeah. in this world in on this team. Yeah. He's he almost clearly going to play ahead of sermon and Jordan Mason. I know, but it's like, if, 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 if Mitchell gets hurt or even if Mitchell doesn't get hurt, but they decide to like, you know, for for Ty Davis Price to be the sort of the pound back and the goal line back. If he has a couple of games of like fifty yards and two touches, like it's going to be like, oh, you know, I mean, his his value goes up, and you know, so yeah, he's definitely a guy I like. Um, what about? I mean, obviously, Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker. The one I have a question about, and I tweeted about him, and, and man, I see the ceiling, I see the floor. 
and I'm, I'm nervous, but I'm excited in an offense that you said didn't do enough. So maybe there's some opportunities there for him, you know, out of the backfield. And then the slot is James Cook. Um, he's got the pedigree. He went to Georgia. He's got the draft capital. He catches passes in PPR and half PPR leagues that we play in. Are we afraid of James Cook at, you know, 110 in a, in a, in a, in a rookie draft? And are you, look, dude, I just drafted him at pick like 100 in best ball. That feels like great value if, if he hits at all. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and the funniest thing of this, you know, did you see the Najee Harris thing where he was like, people were like, Oh, he bulked up to 240. Right. <laughs> and then yes. he comes out and he goes, I weighed 240 last year. Right? right. And, and everyone's like, Oh, okay. But it's like, so he weighed, he weighed into the combine at 232. And then he bulked up to 240 and that's what he played at. But people come to me and they say, James Cook, man, he weighed 199 pounds and I need my running backs to be over 200. So yeah. <laughs> he's, he's dead to me. I'm like, right. Didn't Najee Harris just say that, you know, he both, he, he gained eight pounds over six, six months. That was the way he played it. It's like, but this guy can't do that. It's like Austin Eckler weighed 194 pounds. Now he looks like a friggin' Ninja turtle, dude. Have you seen pictures of that guy with his shirt off? He's yoked. And yes. I'm just like, so what these guys, these guys, like they can't get bigger. They can't get a little stronger. Like why can't James cook, be uh that kind of guy that christian mccaffrey put on a stupid amount of weight like there's no way christian mccaffrey that i've seen the pictures of is the same dude at the combine you know it's like yeah absolutely and you know he does look a lot like christian mccaffrey if you if you look at it you know size catching ability etc the difference is like christian mccaffrey was an uber producer i mean i think christian mccaffrey had more return yards in college than james cook had any other total yards i mean christian mccaffrey was an absolute stud and I do see that he could do that. And some people will pull the Eckler card too. Eckler was a massive producer in college. Now, I've heard the counter to that with James Cook, which is, you know, he played at Georgia. They don't do that. But I get it. But that's just the, the data is what it is. And yes, I see that upside, that sort of CMC Eckler upside. But it's hard to project to, just to project that upside. It's you got to also bake in that downside, that range of outcomes we're talking about with every other player. You know, the the fact that there's a gaping hole in that backfield is a bit comforting if and when you draft James Cook in any format. Yeah, it's kind of wild that to think about like the way the dominoes and the chips fall in this league because the Bills had J.D. McKissick to a verbal contract and then he went back to Washington, which therefore had they gotten McKissick, they probably don't draft James Cook and he probably ends up somewhere else. So it's, it's so weird, man. And the other thing is that like, I think a lot of people don't give Devin Singletary enough credit in terms of like, um, you know, this guy, 4.7 yards per carry down the stretch last year in the last six games, the last four games of regular season, the two playoff games, he scored nine touchdowns. Like he can get it done, but he's just not super appealing to me. So I think James Cook is kind of, uh, if you're looking for in a, any sort of PPR or something like that, just kind of the safest dude, he he's in that realm. But I agree that, uh, you know, if, if he were Christian McCaffrey, we'd be talking about him at 101 or 102, like we were with Christian McCaffrey and Leonard Fournette versus where you got to take him, which is like the end of the first round, early second round. Uh, you know, I, I just, to me, I, I don't like the people that are dismissing him based on some sort of 
perceived size limitations. Sure. I know that at the end of the day, if he doesn't bulk up, he's not going to pan out because we know that that's what you need to do in this league. And some people aren't committed to doing that. I just look at the situation and I'm like, why can't uh, this guy learn from his brother? He's got the right pedigree. Yeah. And why, why can't he he bulk up a little bit and, and become a star for this team, a team that's been hesitant to give the job to one guy? You know, yeah, I heard Matt Kelly say it and I had the same reaction when I saw the picture of all the uh, the rookies. He looked rocked up, man. He looked rocked up. So I think mm-hmm. I think you're right. Hey, I'm going to ask it this way. So some of these guys that have like um, interesting profiles, a little bit of draft capital, and perceived runway on a shitty team, of those two players, Damian Pierce and Tyler Algier, who do you like better in 2022? Yeah, so for, for this year, I – I like Damian Pierce and that's, and that's really just because of the situation. I don't think the the Texans are going to be as bad as people think. I think that the situation for him where, where he can go in and, and play right away versus a Marlon Mack and a Rex Burkhead is a little bit better than a Cordell Patterson for sure. year for right away yep. for the long term, You know, it, it really boils down to, uh, you know, how they want to use Cordero Patterson moving forward. I mean, we talk about running backs in this league yeah. and there's two of them, right. Essentially that are older than 27, Derek right. Henry and Patterson and Patterson's yeah. 30, 32. So, yeah. I mean, it's like uh, for the long term, you can see it. It's just with these guys, I'm just, I'm down to take a stab on any of them at the right ADP because we don't necessarily, we don't know. And it's so hard to decipher. I yeah. mean, and I know you're deep in you're a deep dynasty guy. You do all the deep dives. Uh, do you have anything that that makes you particularly excited about one of them versus the other? I mean, I liked Algier coming in to the process, and I faded a little bit based off some of the efficiency and box count stats and stuff like that. I mean, I just don't think he's as prolific as I thought he might have been based off some of the uh, uh, initial sort of uh, you know thirty thousand foot. Uh, you know, research I had done, but as I dug a little bit closer, I think he's probably just a guy. Um, so, you know, I think it's opportunity and I think I agree with you. I think Damian Pierce is probably a better bet to have a better, a bigger role. Like if you said one of those guys has 200 carries this year, if I had to bet, I would bet Damian Pierce, but you know, I, I think Algier is probably flying a little bit under the radar. If it comes to two guys who are, you know, uh, uh, prolific uh, high school recruits who 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 sort of disappointed and then fell a bit in the draft but landed behind some uh some some notable running backs Zamir White and Isaiah Spiller which of those two guys do you think has the better 2022 and future going forward Zamir White or Isaiah Spiller so I actually, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, no one ever brings up the high school recruiting, man. Yeah. Like that's that's why you're the best, Jax. Like you, you're in there with th- those things, and I think that that does matter. And there are big examples of that. A co- like one huge one we mentioned earlier, Antonio Brown. Like this guy yeah. had a like he was a great high school player, uh, but he like refused to meet with scouts. He was meeting them on his bike. He <laughs> didn't have the grades. You know what I mean? Like he had to go to some fake he was like school. Debo. <laughs> Right. Yeah. He had to go to some little legit fake school to get into college. Right. Like he, you know, um, and then when he finally did get in, it was one of those scouts that met him on the bike that got him to go to central Michigan. Right. And that type of, of train of things is where I think you can find things. This guy who, you know, Antonio Brown couldn't have screwed up possibly more during that period of time. And that's why some scouts like Greg Gabriel, uh, uh, Greg Gabriel would say, I would never touch a guy like that in this situation. 
it does matter to me. So I'm I'm absolutely interested in in both these players. Zamir White is the one that that I've uh, leaned into. I like both the Whites. I like Rashad White and I like Zamir White. Yeah. But in terms of a guy that can potentially earn a role fairly quickly, you've got a guy in um, in uh, Josh McDaniels that's bringing over the modified Erhard Perkins system from New England. That's been a split backfield for 20 years. No back in that system has gotten both 200 carries and 35 catches since Robert Edwards and oh. uh a Curtis Martin and we're talking that we're talking on that was under uh Pete Carroll man yeah. like in the 90s right so yeah. it's that's it's a split back type system it might poor not Robert be amazing. Ed- poor Robert Edwards do you remember how he got hurt dude <sighs> yeah man it was volleyball. Like a volleyball yeah, yeah it was an, a league sanction the league sanction yeah if it was just a regular volley beach volleyball situation or beach flag football situation yeah, yeah. I'd be like, that's dumb. It was put on by the league. So yeah. that is like, he should have got a crazy insurance payout for yeah, that. Man. Super brutal, uh, man. I remember that fucking so hit me right bad, in the feels, bro. I hate that, bro. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, as New England guys, it's yeah, going, bro, Robert Edwards, bro. <laughs> this is where people tune out. They're like, yeah, they're I like, don't care. No, yeah, they're just waiting is- for it. They're waiting for me to start talking about Mac Jones. They're like, wait, right. do 25 minutes on Mac Jones, Jack. <laughs> do it. Come on. Yeah. We're getting to the payoff though. And that's that uh, in this situation, uh, it might not be year one. If I have Samir White, I'm holding him for at least two years to yeah. see what happens when Kenyon Drake's gone. Brandon Bolden is not the long-term solution as the pass catching back in that organization. And I, th- they didn't pick up the uh, fifth-year option for Josh right. Jacobs. Right. People, not, you know, that's an indictment that those yep. guys rarely come back. The Rashad Pennies coming back to the same team after getting their fifth-year option declined yeah. is so rare it's so insulting you know what i mean yeah. like the fact that he would come back like that that's that is the exception to the rule so you can assume that most of those guys are gone and i think zamir white you know just change a couple of those letters around uh, and make it james white and that's kind of what you might be seeing from this guy and and james white people underestimate how valuable that guy's been even in fantasy football he's been an rb7 he's caught a pass in every single game going back to to the raiders game in 2017 like in your dynasty leagues and deep leagues, most of these guys are going to be nothing. Zamir White at his ADP has a good chance to be something. And, you know, it, we're in the range of something is awesome, you know? Speaking of James White, there's a player that I have started to, and and hold on, we're going to get, we're going to get Michael P. Michael P. Duncan really excited when I do this. But one of my, uh, one of the guys that he was really excited about that I'm starting to get more and more excited about, and as a Patriots fan, Pierce Strong. Mm-hmm. He's yep. got this sort of high ceiling profile that is very exciting. And right now he's very inexpensive in all formats because of the sort of the, uh, you know, the, 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 the congestion in the Patriots backfield. They literally have five running backs, you know, with Kevin Harris being the fifth and James White, uh, Pierre Strong, and then, of course, Ramondre and Damian Harris. Something's got to give there. Um, you know, someone's gotta probably be cut. I don't even know, man, but this Pierre strong, I mean, I don't see a path to anything. It's just, it, that's the hard part, but I do see if he gets uh playing time, he is explosive, ran a four, three, seven. He's big, strong. He carried the load, uh, albeit at a smaller school, anything about Pierre strong, or are you just sort of outskis on this deal? Bro, I was kind of out skis. Like I was, uh, I was somebody who looked at it at the draft and I was like, oh man, you know, like this is a two headed, two headed beast. And on one side it's, it's Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson, and then P 
Pierre Strong is going to end up on that side of the tree, which is a scary side of the tree for us. That even in the half PPR, we know yeah. that even in standard, it was proven by Scott Barrett that receptions are more valuable than carries. Yeah. Like, and in any sort of PPR, it's it's multiplied. And then I was like, okay, James White's going to be on this side, and then Kevin Harris is going to be on the James White side, and that's intriguing to me. Now the rumors coming out are that Pierre Strong is playing that James White role. Yes. And with his profile, now Ooh. I'm like, hey, <laughs> boy, PPR. I mean, like, so these are the guys where it's like when you're this deep in the draft, all you care about is that they become something even if your end goal is to package them up and get rid of them, like, you know, we're in the pick and flip territory of these drafts. And now Pierre Strong is interesting to me if he's going to be the pass catching back in this type of yes. offense. Because here's you know, the story it, I've been telling myself, Coop, is like at first it was like there's no room for Kevin Harris or Pierre Strong at all. But now I'm wondering what if it's the two headed monster of Ramondre and Damian Harrison? What if James White is just dust? You know, I mean, he was buoyed by a, a relationship to Tom Brady and a pass catching uh, acumen, but he's coming off an injury plagued season. He was, you know, he's he's on the wrong side of 30 years old. Like he was never explosive. What if they're just like, fuck that guy. Pierre Strong is as good. And he's the third down back. He's the pass catching back. He's that space back, that change of pace player who now runs a four, three, seven with size and athleticism. What if this is the pure strong opportunity? It may not be game one, like you say. It's like that yin yang thing. It's like you need a, you know, it's not going to be like, oh, look, he caught eight eight passes in in week one. But just down the line, if he just wrestles that role away, that's a huge valuable role. It's like James Cook light. Yeah, I mean, it better than I mean, like better than James Cook. I mean, last year James White caught six passes in the first two games, back to back, six yeah. six, both first two games. So we know Mac Jones likes it, you know. Yes. and you know, you look at James White's contract. It's a two-year contract technically. Next year, he can be cut for zero dead cap at any point. Not even you after you don't have to wait until after the period there. And you know, to a certain degree, uh, you kind of like that James White is still there just for one year to so this kid can learn from him, right? For this for this James White. So that's a that's a powerful role, man. So if he can take over that role moving forward, you know, he can learn from James White in the first year. Then James White can be cut with zero dead cap. I mean, this is a kind of a a perfect situation for somebody to come in and take over that role because you know that, like you said, James White, he's he's over 30 years old. He's not going to be in this league for a while. So it's a projection that you can have for this guy. I mean, the ceiling becomes tough because even if they let Damon Harris go, they're still going to have Mondre Stevenson. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, it, like we were talking about, now here you're just looking for somebody that can do something for you. Right? Yes, yes. You have some sort of value and not just go right to waivers like Justice Hill. Yes, so for me, right. yes. that, that it becomes appealing to me. You know, you don't have to shoot for the moon every single time. Yeah, that's he's how a you Justice Hill miss. floor player, right? Pierre Strong right. is Justice Hill floor and like, yeah, something more than that. Like I, I was joking. He's like Jamal Charles ceiling Justice Hill floor. I like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, he does have a profile that looks a lot like Jamal Charles in some ways, obviously, but you know, Jamal Charles outlier. Right. Okay. So last one, last one, I'm going to get you out on something like this. Um, Tennessee Titans, Tennessee Titans. They've got Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry was playing with a steel f- plate in his foot and his shoe. He's 29 years old. There's no guarantees that he's going to remain healthy going forward. If he does, he's obviously the fucking beast of all time. I get that. But if he doesn't, then we have to start looking at the backup there. And it's Hassan Haskins. Or is it? We like Julius Chestnut a whole lot. We liked him pre-draft. 
He's out of nowhere. He's undrafted, but he's got a profile that is like, um, if you just take away the fact that he's undrafted and went to Sacred Heart, I mean, every other thing about him has been dominant. He's big, strong, fast. Um, he may be a better football player than Hassan Haskins. That may not matter because I know there's a lot of uh, you know contract deference, uh, draft capital deference, and he may just not get an opportunity. But he might get an opportunity if Hassan Haskins just fails like Trey Sermon before him. Um, but I like drafting Hassan Haskins and Julius Chestnut in my rookie drafts. I don't see them as being draftable assets necessarily in best ball. Any, uh, any take here or what do you, what do you think? I'm right there with you. And I'm glad that you mentioned Jamal Charles's name, even in passing, like, you know, that yeah. comes up and it's such a perfect example of a guy who was so amazing and was, you know, the off, off he was getting offensive player of the year votes, yeah. putting up thousand yards, 1200, you know, thousand yard seasons and 12 touchdowns, nine touchdowns, and then fell right off at age 29. Right. And we know that father time is undefeated. You look at Melvin Gordon, this guy was a mega stud and, you know, he's got the third most yards of the last six years and look how the sentiment changed. Look how the sentiment changed on Zeke. So like you say, Derrick Henry could be the greatest outlier of all time, but there's a, there's a better chance. And, you know, with where range of outcomes play to your odds, guys, there's a, there's a better chance that within a year or two from now, he's no longer the Derrick Henry that we know and love. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's just how it goes at this position. It's a brutal position. So you got to take stabs on these guys. Definitely not, like you said, definitely not in best ball. They're, no. they're too pure handcuffy in best ball. Yeah. But uh, for me, I'm definitely drafting Hassan Haskins. And Julius Chestnut is a, it, it all depends on the size of your league. I right. love my leagues to be bigger. I think if you're listening to this particular podcast yeah. and at this time of year, then you are a sharp fantasy gamer. And you, sh if you're not the commissioner of your league, you need to be petitioning the commissioner of your leagues, all of them, including the redraft leagues, to have more bench spots because yep. that favors the sharp gamers, right? Bingo. You can have Julius Chestnut already because you're listening to this podcast. You have tomorrow's newspaper. You can have him on your roster already, or you could let the casual gamer that still buys a magazine, get him off waivers because you don't have enough bench spots to have all the amazing stashes that you want to have. So right. if you want to, like that, that's a move that a sneaky move in terms of giving yourself an advantage. If you think you're the best player in your league, go out and get bench spots added. I, you know, I'm so cocky in some of my dynasty leagues In one of my, in one of my dynasty leagues, I have an open trade offer that I say is on the table every single year. Anyone out there can trade me their second round pick for my second round pick. And yes. let's see who does better this year. And yeah. that's like my favorite trash talk. And you know, <laughs> one kid, one kid did take me up on it and uh, he ended up with the worst pick. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so Brandon, you can eat it, bud. And that yes. trade's still on the table. All right. So what's up? I do this all the time. I, I literally will send that trade and people look at it and they must be like, Oh fuck! I'm being I'm being called out right here. It's the fucking best one. Send your best. 23 first for someone else's 23 first, and they'll just be like, "Go yeah. fuck yourself." Right, you know? Exactly. And I if, was looking if, over your team, and yeah. I think that, I think this would be a great trade for me, bro. Yeah, yeah, dude. That is the ultimate "go fuck yourself" trade offer, and I it's my favorite one. So, and, and if it backfires on you, and someone calls you out on it, more power to that motherfucker for doing right. that. But, Hell yeah. yeah, that's the yeah. that's the best one they do. Yeah, because yeah. now you got I'll something. He, that kid, dude. That kid such a weasel too i hope he listens to this he traded my pick away to another kid so that when time came for me to talk trash he didn't have the pick anymore yes. he was like, oh, 
I got so and so already. I was like, yes. yeah, dude, uh, all right. Yes. It's like, I was like, you kind of won this one because you know the pick, the player he got. I forget who it was, but the player he got ended up being better than both our picks. Yes. So I was like, yeah, you're an you're an asshole still, but so am yes. I. So. Yes, absolutely. That's a that's a completely East Coast mass hole fucking trade offer. Yeah. And, and I did not. <laughs> we did not talk about this pre-show, but I did this. So absolutely, Coop. Thanks for coming on. You're the fucking man. I absolutely love it. Go Celts. Celts in four. I mean, we know what's happening. Just forget about it. Uh, if they already lost, then it's Celts in five. Because we're going to find – this is going to come out after they've already lost. So Celts <laughs> in five, right. I meant. I meant Celts in five. It's okay. Unless they um, won, that is definitely Celts in four. That is Celts in four. That's right. It's <laughs> exactly right. That's exactly right. So thanks for coming on. Tell the fine people where they can find you. You do um, outstanding work, but I don't want to fuck up your outro. So say yeah, bro. It's super easy with me, man. Every, if you just follow me on Twitter at Coupe Fiasco, I always link the articles I write. I always link the podcast I do. It's all there. And from there, if you like, if you like what you're seeing, you know, this year we have a ton of free articles, then you can become a member of Fantasy Alarm. And that's where you get behind the paywall. You get all our stats. You, you get access to a Discord where I'm in there answering your questions, where you can put questions and we'll answer them live on air on Sundays. So, you know, the easiest way, follow me on Twitter at Coop. The letter A fiasco, and uh, you know everything you need. We'll have the yin yang tight end coming out, the whole deal, man, and and we'll help you win your leagues, dude. Thank you so much for having me on. Honestly, anytime you need a guest, short notice, whatever, hit me up, dude. It's always it's a blast talking to you, dude. So I'm available for that, and uh, we can do this again, buddy. Yeah, thank you so much, and and I I love you, you, he's a great Twitter follow. So if you're not following. Uh, Coop on Twitter. You should be because he's he's great. Uh, your your Twitter feed is actually really good. Your commentary, everything you do on Twitter is really. It's two things, man. It's informative and entertaining, which is the two things I'm looking for. I want to be I want to be chuckling and going, yeah, that's pretty true. And you do all that. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you on behalf of everybody here at the Undroppables. On behalf of everybody here at the Undrafted. On behalf of the greatest producer and sad sad Philadelphia 76ers fan. Michael P. Duncan, on behalf of the great Andrew Cooper, Coop, this is Jax Falcone, and we are out.